the Attitude of Aggression Wrestling Podcast. This is uh, episode 279 of the shoe, or as you see Tony would say, the big shoe, something like that. It's, it's, it's a show. It's, it's the Attitude of Aggression. It's episode 279. It has been quite a while since we talked to the, you guys. Uh, gosh, it's been a few months since we got the last episode out, which unfortunately is too much par for the course trying to fix that. But there's a good reason why this chapter of the Big Four Project kind of took a little while to get done. Uh, and I blame it all on PC Tunney. <laughs> Not really. Uh, it's, it, uh, I, let's, so here we go. On, on this chapter, this is the Big Four Project, Chapter 6, which on this episode we are covering SummerSlam 1989 and Survivor Series 1989, the second SummerSlam ever. And I believe the third Survivor Series ever. And I think part of the problem that we had with this was um, you hear on the SummerSlam, excuse me, on the SummerSlam 89 uh, recap and, and summary and, and covering of that, it was myself, DJ from the Mindless Wrestling Podcast and PC Tony. And I think by and large, most of us would acknowledge and, and agree that SummerSlam 89 of the two shows we're covering on this chapter SummerSlam 89, the much better show. Um, Survivor Series 89, PC Tunney did not dig this show at all. <laughs> at all, at all. And uh, you'll hear his displeasure with the whole thing. And I think that made him a little, you know, understandably less than jazzed about reviewing the whole thing. So uh, and to be quite honest, I wasn't exactly burning down his door saying hey let's get it done you know it was it's kind of one of those things like because we know what's coming and i think chapter seven is going to be much more tunny centric because it's covering the ultimate challenge royal rumble 1990 which of course has one of the most iconic moments in rumble history when hogan and the warrior first you know squared off and then of course wrestlemania 6 the ultimate challenge and uh after you know we recap this i'll fill you guys in a little bit about what we have planned something very special that we have planned for chapter six of the big four project. Um, but we're going to cover S SummerSlam 89 survivor series 89. We'll go ahead and do that. Uh, I'll come back on and kind of touch bases on, on the current product where a few things are right now. We're a couple weeks out as I'm recording this from SummerSlam 2023. So there, you know, for you kids doing the math at home, that's, uh, 24 year difference uh 24 year, 34 years excuse me down the line geez my math is off um we've got yeah summer slam coming up 2023 coming from ford field in detroit michigan um aw has their big event coming up which will be uh all in 2023 coming from wembley stadium in the united kingdom uh and all i mean from what we're getting and of course you know with anything with these big events in wrestling, uh, you get attendance numbers that sometimes can tend to be inflated, gate figures that tend to be inflated. WrestleMania is notorious for pulling this kind of shit off. Um, but all sales figures and all numbers that we're seeing for All In in Wembley Stadium, um, reports coming in that it's going to be the second largest gate ever behind only WrestleMania 32 from 2016, the first one that they had at uh, Cowboy Stadium or AT&T Stadium, excuse me in dallas texas that's massive and then i think like what a week after a week after they do all in then so all in is what august 27th then you're gonna have 
All Out just a week later, September 3rd, 2023, from the United Center in Chicago, Illinois. And, you know, I've already seen I've already seen that AEW is now their fans, their hardcore. Well, not even their hardcore fans, just fans in general uh, have kind of dubbed AEW's got their own big four pay-per-view pay-per-views, which, you know, honestly, AEW's big four right now is more like the WWE's big four used to be because they're spaced out so much. But, yeah, you know, AEW's got all out double or nothing uh, full gear and revolution. So they've got their big four. But, you know, the big one, of course, is all in. Coming from Wembley Stadium on August 27th, you're going to have 75, 80,000 people at least for that thing. And they don't even have a match announced for the card yet. That's the insane part about the whole thing. But talk a little bit about what's going on with AEW, what's going on with WWE after we come back from from the uh, recap of SummerSlam 89 and Survivor Series 89. So. We're going to get to it. I'm going to give the boys, of course, the Ron Burgundy jazz flute. We'll get to SummerSlam 89. There'll be a commercial break in the middle. And then it was me and Tunny doing uh, Survivor Series 89, much to our displeasure. I like it. I like it better than Tunny does. I I thought the show has some redeeming qualities to it. There's some good matches. Um, There's a lot of it is setting up for the uh, no holds barred, the movie, the match thing that we had going on. But you hear Tunny and I talk about all that stuff, and then I'll come back on talk a little about about the current product, talk about chapter six and what we have planned. Or is it chapter six or chapter seven? God, I can't even keep track of my own show, guys. It's uh, chapter seven. I'm sorry. It'll be chapter seven because this is chapter six and what we got planned about that. But without further ado, we're going to get to the Ron Burgundy jazz flute. Ron is going to take us into the next chapter. This is, of course, as I mentioned, this is will be chapter six. Big Four Projects, Survivor, SummerSlam 89, Survivor Series 89. I'll come back, talk a little bit about the current product, and then we'll get you guys out of here. So, Ron, take us to Chapter 6 of the Big Four Project, please. All right, folks, welcome back to another installment of the Big Four Project here on the Attitude of Aggression Wrestling Podcast, also appearing on the ChairShot Radio Network, a part of the ChairShot.com. It is Chapter 6 of the Big Four Project, and and, and fellas, I, I'm well, let's do introductions first. Joined here by my partner in crime, pretty much for all of this stuff, with a few random exceptions here and there, the one and only Mr. ChairShot himself. PC Tunny. Tunny, how you doing, man? Good morning, Dave. Uh, doing well. Uh, it, it's interesting. You got It's a rare time when you get to listen to a, a non-drinking PC Tunny, so uh, you're welcome. Yeah, thanks. I think, you know, you are, you are really, we'll you are really good when you're drunk. So, um, you know, how you, you're, 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 you're <laughs> Am I? you are, you're, and, and if things keep going the way they are for your lightning and your bucks, especially, you might have to start drinking a lot more. So <sighs> let's just talk about wrestling, Dave. 
<laughs> Welcoming back to the Big Four Project. Uh, he's been a part of this stuff a lot lately and, and was just just heard him at the end of a WrestleMania five with Hulk Hogan recapturing the WWF championship. It is DJ from the Mindless Wrestling Podcast. DJ, how are you doing, sir? That's right. Mimic to the crowd. Let's hear the applause. Let's hear the roar of the crowd as DJ comes back on the show. Gentlemen, awesome to be back. Thank you so much for having me on here. This is a, a lot of fun. I, I've told you guys before, I enjoy these strolls down memory lane. Uh, this was, PC Tunney's a little younger than Dave and I are, but this was our era right here, man. Like, this was prime WWE watching that we're going through right now. It, <laughs> it is, and it's almost embarrassing to admit that, isn't it, DJ, when you look back at this stuff and say, wow, this was this was where it was at, but... Uh, hey. Actually, you know what? I, I watched uh, one of the things that we're going through tonight. I watched last night. I'm not ashamed to say I enjoyed it. But one of the things we're going over is SummerSlam 89 and looking at the whole card and the matches. It was really fucking good. There were some yeah. good wrestling matches. SummerSlam 89. Definitely. Survivor Series <sighs> 89, as PC Tunney said I, off air just a few minutes ago. Tony, what did you? Do? How did you describe Survivor Series '89? I think, in 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 less words, I said it didn't live up to the standards in which I enjoy watching a wrestling pay per view. Uh, wow, PC PC Tony really went PC he on that. Really one, went he? PC off air. Tony's exact <laughs> words are off air. Tony's exact words are it sucked dick. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so we're going to just, you know, we're going to roll with that and we're going to see what happens uh, with these two events that are All right, let's let, let's get into it though. Let's let's talk before we get to SummerSlam 89. Everything about Chapter 6, SummerSlam 89, Survivor Series 89, it's all about one man. And it's not Hulk Hogan per se. It's the one and only Zeus who uh compiled a startling, stirring 0 and 5 record during his brief tenure with WWE. Uh <laughs> so some background on this whole situation before we get into SummerSlam 89. Um, when Savage was a champion, a WWF champion after WrestleMania four. And I think we talked about it when we talked about WrestleMania four in the aftermath that with Savage's champion, it gave Hulk Hogan time to go away and film the cinematic classic known as no holds barred. And I mean, just a stirring, fantastic movie. Um, that's some sarcasm there, kids. Movie best known really for, yeah, rip. Rip them. Rip them. Um, and it, probably best known for Hulk Hogan making some dude shit himself. So that was fucking classic. One of the <laughs> dookie, Tony. Dookie. It's all about dookie. But, What's that smell? Dookie. <laughs> you know that's coming. Show hands if you saw that in the theater. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely saw it in the theater. All of us did. We all did. Um, but anyway, in the movie, Hulk Hogan is Rip, and he's he's really it's really Hulk Hogan. All they did was they changed the color scheme to white. They changed the hand gesture to like the Rip him sign. They changed Hulk Hogan's name to Rip, but it was really just him. Um, Zeus, played by the one and only Tiny Lister, rest in peace, played a I believe it was what a convicted murderer in this thing who gets released from prison and shows up in a bar. And throws Stan Hansen around like he's a sack of potatoes, even though Stan Hansen had not been involved in WWE since the late 70s, basically. So uh, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But in the movie, of course, Rip prevails. He makes the guy shit himself. He stands tall and victorious over Zeus or. Yeah, he was named Zeus in the movie, too. So they didn't they didn't change any of that. So after Hulk beats Savage and takes the title back. On an episode of Monday night, or not Monday night, Saturday night's main event, Hulk scheduled to face the big boss man in a steel cage match. 
And Slick indicates prior to the match that he's got a surprise for Hulk Hogan. So as Hulk is walking down to the ring, Zeus is standing there with basically his Zeus outfit on from the movie, the few minor modifications. He's standing on the steps waiting for Hulk Hogan to come there. And Hulk sees him and starts hulking up. And Zeus just beats Hulk down like he's nothing. And we're off and running with this whole Zeus Hogan thing. Um, you know, as as things are going to evolve during the summer of this whole situation, um, Randy Savage, who's still trying to get the title back from Hulk Hogan and failing miserably at this, decides to kind of enlist Zeus's help for a real world confrontation with Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan, who doesn't have, you know, Randy Savage anymore because the mega powers have exploded and are gone, needs to enlist the help of the only guy he can really rely on. And it's your man, DJ Brutus, the barber beefcake as the barber, the barber as his tag team partner. And Ooh. yeah, I mean, so we get Zeus makes these appearances at the same time. Um, Savage had been feuding with Brutus at the same time. He kind of had after unsuccessfully trying to dethrone Hogan, Savage started a feud with Brutus beefcake. So it's it's built up pretty well, you know, as far as as what they're doing with this whole thing. And that's kind of where we lead into SummerSlam 89 with the big challenge being made with Savage and Zeus challenging Hogan and Beefcake. And here we go, off and running. Gentlemen, DJ, I'll turn it over to you first. Um, the build and, and how Zeus got involved in the WWF at this point in time, bringing, interjecting the movie into the actual real world sort of stuff. Um, Zeus didn't have a lick of pro wrestling experience. And, and, you know, and I will say, I think they did a pretty good job of protecting him during this entire run. WWE did. Um, but still <laughs> your thoughts on this whole thing leading into SummerSlam 89. Um, this is, again, we've talked on this series before about, this was kind of my coming of age time period in life. I was about 16 years old. So some of WWE stuff was starting to wear a little thin. And this was, I, I was still enjoying it. I was still completely immersed in it, but this was one of those things where I was like, okay, we're tying into the movie and so I get it. So there was part of, I was on this like weird precipice of this is really super cool what they're doing to, okay, this is kind of cheesy what we're doing. Uh, but for what they did, the build was really good. Um, you know, Macho Man played his part well. Bruce Beefcake was a great addition to the whole thing. And, you know, Hulk Hogan was Hulk Hogan. And I think, yeah, Tony, before I turn it over to you, I think it's also important to note that during the gap between WrestleMania 5 and SummerSlam 89, Macho Man takes the crown from, I forget who he gets the crown. I think it was Hacksaw Jim Duggan. I think it was, it was Hacksaw because yeah. Hacksaw was king at the time. Yeah, King Duggan. He, he dethroned Haku somewhere along the way. Hacks and Savage took the crown from, uh, from Hacksaw. But along the way, we also get the introduction of Sherry Martell as the macho man randy savage's new manager so in all the fallout of wrestlemania 5 with the stuff with elizabeth macho man replaces her there's going to be a big storyline for years to come sherry martell turns into queen sherry at the side of the macho king randy savage um brutus beefcake kind of caught the ire of savage by just being yeah you know it's it's the 80s kids so you got to let some shit slide and was brutus a misogynistic ass towards sherry of course but most of the guys on the roster were, and that's just kind of, and Sherry brought a lot of that on herself by getting involved in things very often and frequently. I tell you what though, she had some incredible character work during that period of time between the scary Sherry and the clean Sherry. She was an incredible addition to just about anything that she was in. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, Savage basically defending Sherry's honor 
which is kind of ironic since he like hardly ever <laughs> defended Liz's honor when they were right. together. But but Savage defending Sherry's honor. So it's kind of like he's hated. But I mean, it's still there's still the ripple effect of Savage's championship run and people still love the guy. And Macho King, Macho King, one of the f- most effective kings of all time. Right, Tony? Oh, without a doubt. <clears throat> I mean, <laughs> him and him and Sherry were excellent in that with the scepter and everything else. I mean, I think a lot of his action figures had the crown and scepter with it. So I think you would most notoriously associate him first with the scepter, wouldn't you? Uh, yes. But as far as as far as this movie goes, it was it was pretty brilliant. You know, more uh, cross pollination from WWE trying to get you know, recognition outside of just the wrestling world where, you know, coming off of the rock and, and wrestling thing. Now we're trying to get movies where Hulk Hogan, I believe still owes the rock 1250 for suburban commando or something like that, or Probably. whatever suburban nanny or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, but it, you know, this was released in June. You talk about, uh, Kurt Fuller was probably the best actor in that movie. Um, if you, if you've oh, seen him, you know, he was, like he was slimy, like the slimy yeah. Vince McMahon kind of guy. <laughs> Yeah, the TV executive, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. There, there's a side note about that that I find interesting. You know, the whole movie that the press of the the basically storyline is this guy's trying to buy Hulk Hogan from the other promotion that he's working for. And, you know, Rip in the movie is like, no, he's standing firm. It's not about money. It's not about money. Years later, it would be very much about money as Hulk Hogan actually goes to WCW. I just found I, years later, I found that to be rather funny. It is. That's pretty ironic. I, it is just a smart job to, you know, they they sold their second biggest pay-per-view of the year with with a guy who is not a wrestler whatsoever in Zeus. So it was another way to get more eyeballs onto your product with, you know, having the movie run during the summer. People get excited then for the build that WWF does leading into, you know, feel the heat SummerSlam, baby. Right. Right, right. And and like you're saying, Tony, they this pretty much is when you look at the success of the first SummerSlam and then you add on this event, which like like DJ says, this is a damn good show. Um, it really solidifies SummerSlam as, you know, Rumble hasn't quite taken on the role that it's going to take on in a few years because, you know, it's not for, you know, the winner doesn't get a title shot. And, you know, we just came off Big John Studd winning the one in 1989. Take that for what you will. Um the other big feud still ongoing going into SummerSlam 89, of course, the Ultimate Warrior and Ravishing Rick Rude, which has not slowed down at all since Rude beat the Warrior at WrestleMania 5. Their rematch is a real big focal point of this event. So what do you say, guys? And, and there was, like you were saying, Tony, stuff they did with Zeus. There's another big moment leading into this match at SummerSlam where um, I remember DJ, correct? No, I, I'm pretty sure I'm right. Zeus is wrestling Brutus Beefcake. And I mean, I'm using air quoting wrestling and he's got like Brutus in a bear hug. And I think Zeus gets disqualified or something along the way. And Hulk slams a chair into his back and it has like no effect on Zeus. He just turns around and smiles at him. And then they're both threatening Brutus and iconic imagery. Brutus and Hulk threatening Zeus with the chair. Savage jumps in the ring and is trying to pull Zeus away so that he doesn't get destroyed. And Zeus wants to go. So, yeah, it's it's on like Donkey Kong PC Tunny. I would have to say. No, they, yeah, they sold it and prepped it well. It's just too bad that they couldn't have gotten Zeus to perform a little bit better inside the ring. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but, you know, this that's a time when guys like Logan Paul were few and far between, and Zeus is not Logan Paul as far as, uh, I mean, bigger than Logan, but certainly not with his skill level. But anyway, let's let's get into this thing. <laughs> not even Johnny fucking Knoxville. 
Zeus looked to the part, and it begins and ends there. He did, and I think you know, as far as like with Hulk Hogan at this point in time, you know, where are we going with Hogan? And and Hogan needs another mountain to climb, and Zeus is a pretty good mountain, you know. Until they no, figured out, yeah. until they figured out what they were going to do with the the biggest mountain that Hulk is going to climb and fall on coming up in chapter seven. But um, let's get into it. Let's talk about it. SummerSlam '89, August twenty eighth, nineteen eighty nine. From the whatever the hell it what is it now? I don't even know what it is. It's in the Meadowlands, New Jersey. It used to be the Brendan Byrne Arena. Then it was the Rock. Yeah. Is it the Izod Center? Is that what we're dealing with now? I have no idea. I don't know. Is it even don't, the same? Don't ask thing? me. The, the uh, Amway Center is still the Arena, and where you know the Dolphins play is always going to be Joe Robbie. I hear so you. I hear <laughs> I'm the you. wrong one to ask these things. Yeah, I hear you. But it's from the Meadowlands in 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 the Meadowlands, New Jersey. Uh, Jesse Ventura is on commentary and. Tony Schiavone, who has a one-year run basically in WWE, from and and it, you see it here. And I thought, you know, Tony's experience and his time in WWE was very short-lived. But while he was there, he was pretty effective. And you know, obviously, he's known for WCW and AEW now. But I thought the two of them together were pretty good at this event. DJ, the Izod Center. The Izod Center. Okay, that's what it's called. But what do you guys think of Jesse and Tony together? You know, usually it's Jesse and Gorilla or something like that. But here's a little different, a little switch up on commentary teams. And uh, what do you think of this one? This is his one WWF pay per view, right? No, he does. Like this, he does the Rumble. Oh, he does do the Rumble in, in ninety. In ninety, yeah, he's there with Jesse okay. with the Hogan Warrior thing. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. I just remember he's not on the next pay per view. Gorilla. Yeah, he's not on Survivor Series. Was there something to do with Gorilla's health at the time why they did this, or were they were just kind of trying to see what was going to happen moving forward? Maybe trying to experiment to see how how effective Shivani was. Um, I mean, Shivani to me has always been like a middle of the road kind of guy he's he's professional he gets the job done he really doesn't add too much of it but he's but he's not really going to hurt you that bad right right he, i mean he was he was fine on this episode i mean it's a it, he was good because he was the he was the baby face commentator to contrast what jesse was doing and and i thought in that respect he's effective as effective as gorilla they don't have the chemistry that that gorilla and jesse do and that's clearly obvious in this broadcast but i thought tony did pretty well um dj you got any thoughts on shivani in this brief uh, run yeah. in wwe I, i'm kind of like with you guys i have never thought he was an overly dynamic announcer i thought he was fine he was you know i enjoyed his time in you know wcw i thought he was a bit of an odd fit in wwf at the time but i was also kind of like i was like okay cool but what's happening over on the other side of the pond where, you know, the Brain Busters have left, Tony Schiavone has left, Dusty Rhodes has left. Like, what, all of a sudden, I've got NWA WCW on WWF TV. So, you know, at that point in time, I was like, okay, what's going on over there? Exactly, exactly. But, yeah, I think it's, yeah, Schiavone, it's, it's hard because his, the sample size is so small on on his WWE career as far as like what you're looking at and and I haven't really I haven't heard what he talked about as far as his time there as to whether he had a good time or whether he was just pissed off about everything it doesn't matter let's talk about stuff that does matter right you guys want to talk about stuff that matters let's talk about let's talk about yeah this first match boy what a hell of a fucking opening match here heart foundation taking on the brain busters with Bobby Heenan as the manager somewhere along the way and I don't remember where or when I think it was probably Saturday night's main event uh, the Brain Busters had captured the WWF Tag Team Championship from the from Demolition and had ended Demolitions up till then, record-setting reign as Tag Team Champions. However, 
this match is not a championship match as far as I could tell. So I, I'm not really sure what happened. That notwithstanding, it's a fucking great match. I mean, it is a tremendous tag team match. This is a tag team clinic. You know, people talk about tag team matches to watch. Watch this one. The Hart Foundation dominates the match, it, but it really doesn't matter because the Anvil is going to slam Brett into onto Tully Blanchard, excuse me. But the Brainbusters then, um, they distract the referee long enough for Arn to leap off the second rope, nail Brett with a flying axe handle. Arn makes the pin. The Brainbusters get the win. Doesn't matter. The title wasn't on the line. This is a tremendous match. Uh, just tag team wrestling at its finest between two of the best teams of all. I mean, these are four guys who we know can go. The added element of Bobby the Brain Heen and the Busters, the tag team champions. People forget that they were the ones that had thrown demolition. But, um, Tony, I'll turn it over to you first. Your thoughts on this match. This, to me, was uh, one of the best ways you could have opened SummerSlam 89 with a match of this quality. This is something that, you know, <laughs> if you're an aspiring tag team and you want to learn how to play, you know, to the crowd and move well in the ring with your opponents, I mean, you couldn't pick two better tag teams. This is this is easily the best match on this card by by a long shot, especially when you got Heenan in the mix as well. So I loved every second of it, especially knowing the, the venture I was about to embark on watching the rest card and um survivor series so i really soaked in the ajou on this one because this is probably one of like three matches in these two pay-per-views that was above par and th and this one was really solid i i really loved um arn and and um blanchard's run here as a tag team as the brain busters in wwf yeah it doesn't last long enough i and i don't know the reasons oh. why i mean they're only there for about the same length of time that shivani is it's like they made a huge impact in a very short time, that's for sure. But uh, DJ, let me turn it over to you. Your thoughts on this match and the Brainbusters? You know, I'm not. I'd have to research it more as to what happened. I mean, maybe they just felt more comfortable in WCW. I don't know what the deal was, but uh, your thoughts on the on the this match and the Brainbusters in general? Uh, yeah, that'd be something I'd like to to research and dissect a little bit because I was a fan of their run when they first showed up. I was like, oh wow. Because you know, back in that point in time, and, and I still love a good work rate wrestling match now, but at this point in time in my life, give me the spectacle. As long as your shit looks good in the ring, I'll take the spectacle. But this was absolutely an incredible opener. It was a great wrestling match. And it, it proves that it is soul. Vince McMahon really gave a shit about good professional wrestling matches. And this really was a good professional wrestling match. The hearts were over as hell. Like you listen to the crowd pop, everything they did, even the simple little stuff, the crowd was going nuts for. And, and Tully Blanchard, more so than Arn, just because Tully was a different kind of worker, they complemented each other really well. But Tully Blanchard was out there selling his ass off, man. He was just taking everything. Like you said, the hearts dominated probably 75% of this match. There was very few times where the, um, the Brain Busters took over and, and kept control of the match. But Tully Blanchard just took everything they were throwing at him and just kept just kept bumping for him, kept selling. Incredible worker. Yeah. They, the, brain, the, the Brain Busters would lose the titles back uh, to Demolition in October on Superstars. Oh, Superstars. God. You could God tell God. they were getting buried. Yeah. <laughs> do we know why they, why, you know why they left? Or I wonder why they left. I would imagine they, they had a short-term contract there. And, and when, when did Turner take over? In WCW, I think he already had by this point. 
Um, I think that era may have been the Bill Watts era, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, I know there's somebody with much more knowledge than I have, probably Rob or Greg or somebody, but I think that little Bill Watts era of WCW was not really well looked upon by a lot of the workers. So I think there may have been a lot of guys that were looking to just kind of jump ship, go get some of the Fed money at the time and see how things played out over, you know, down in Atlanta. Yeah. And we know the four horsemen are going to be reformed pretty quick upon the return of Arn Anderson and, and, and Tully Blanchard to the whole mix. Well, let, let's talk the next match honky tonk man with Jimmy Hart taking on dusty roads. Um, Jimmy Hart's going to be a big part of this match and, and what happens. Um, it's an okay match. I'll say that there's a ref bump and honky is going to want Jimmy to whack dusty in the head with that trusty guitar. But in the process of this, Dusty moves out of the way. Jimmy Hart crushes Honky Tonk Man with the guitar instead. Dusty drops the big elbow on Honky Tonk. Polka dots and all. Dusty Rhodes gets the victory. This is Dusty's first pay-per-view match in WWE um, since coming over with Polka Dots. And, and, you know, we look at what's going on with his son right now. But this is where Dusty makes his debut and kind of makes his mark initially on on, uh, WWE. So, um, DJ... Dusty Rhodes. I, I mean, a lot of people always want to give criticize Vince, thinking that he had some ulterior motive to embarrass Dusty Rhodes. And I never really saw it that way. I just thought Vince trying to come up with his own spin on the Dusty Rhodes character that wasn't just going to be American Dream Redux. Now, modernly, I think Vince would have just said, yeah, I'm going to do Dusty Rhodes from NWA. But back in 1989, he's trying to come up with something different. Dusty Rhodes never really gets totally, you know, he never really gets buried that much in, in the whole scheme of things, but he gets the win here. Your thoughts on, uh, on Dusty Rhodes in this match. Uh, I enjoyed this match. Like I said, I watched it again last night. This is a great example of guys getting a match over and doing next to nothing in the ring. Like pay attention to that match. There's a few spots in there, but they spent most of the match work in the crowd. The first three minutes is basically them just getting heat from the crowd and doing very little was incredible to watch two masters of their craft at getting the most juice out of the least amount of work. And it was just incredible to watch that from that dynamic. Uh, Dusty Rhodes' whole WWE run is is remembered differently by different people. I think the workers probably shit all over it because they were used to the Dusty they grew up on. And the Dusty that I grew up on was, was angry, violent, and, you know, whipped ass. And then this Dusty's out there having fun. You know, he's, he's wrestling good matches and he's having, you know, you know, good stuff, but he's just a much more fun, flamboyant character. One thing I found interesting was how quickly and how easily he settled into that WWE style. Like he did the polka dots were silly, but he really just immersed himself in that. And I had fun with it. Yeah, I, I, tend to agree with you completely i mean i dusty had fun with it and that's what really matters at this what did he really have left to prove at this point in his career they weren't going to put the world title on him an intercontinental championship run with warrior and rude out there probably not going to happen and they end up he ends up getting in one of the most high profile feuds of uh of all hitting into wrestlemania six tony your thoughts dusty Rhodes gets the win here i know this is probably not one of those matches that is uh, the above par variety for you but it was fine and and your thoughts on Dusty's run beginning in WWE at this time? In a way, Mick Foley was able to do something that Dusty Rhodes wasn't. And I'm wondering, is it because of timing or was it just because of... And I, I think so. I think you didn't have that latitude of character-wise uh, the time when Dusty came in where Mick did when he did all the things that he did and broke through as far as a guy 
of that physique getting over because it's not that far fetched to compare Mick Foley and Dusty Rhodes, right? As far right. as body goes for the most part. Now, it just wasn't happening for Dusty, so Vince had to find a different way to get him over like that. And like you said, he's not getting anywhere that IC title considering looking at the guys in the body types that are holding that title and the world title. I mean, the only reason that you get slaughter in there is because of the war. And that's something that they were able to push and connect with the audience on a much higher level than what they were, but it still was not a bad run. Um, this was not a good match. Um, and I don't really like the honky tonk man, but Jimmy Hart's fun. Um, so there's that honky got hit in the head with a guitar. So I mean, that that counts for something, right? He's just a D bag. (laughs) Tony being politically correct on this show that is explicitly rated for you kids at home, by the way, just, uh, I'll just throw that out there. Great A douche canoe. How's that? Yeah, there. That's that's a little bit better. Um, the next match is not so good unless you're a Mr. Perfect fan, and then it's perfect. See what I did there, Tony? It is Mr. Yeah. Perfect versus the Red Rooster, which is damn near a, as much of a squash match as you could get. Perfect dominates. It's a short match, thankfully. Uh, puts the Rooster away with the Perfect Plex, and that's really it. Mr. Perfect continuing to. Uh, climb the ladder so to speak he's still undefeated at this point in time and this was just no contest Tony. anything you want to talk about with mr perfect dominating the red rooster and thankfully putting him away in very short fashion did they did they tell them they weren't going to have more than three minutes because like i figured like even kurt hennig could have made himself look better and red rooster in three minutes uh this was just really sloppy um finish your thought and then i'll tell you what happened no that's i i finished yeah. So I was watching this match last night and it ended abruptly and right. I'm watching this. I'm like, I feel like they called an audible somewhere for a reason. Cause usually there's a setup for the perfect plex and he literally just grabs him and puts him in a perfect plex and pins him. I did some research. Terry Taylor legitimately injured his knee during the match. So they called an audible. Uh, right. Cause they really had gotten back and into the ring, but when they just did that. Right. And that was it. I think it was when he went to the outside, he did something to his knee, injured himself, they called an audible, pulled him in the ring, hit the perfect plex, and went home. Chicken legs. That makes sense. Yeah, chicken legs. Rooster chicken legs. Chicken legs. <laughs> I mean, that that makes sense. It did, it did, like you're saying, DJ, it did seem to end abruptly with, with not much going. I mean, even at the end, Rooster's trying to kind of like, trying to fight this whole perfect plex off and failing miserably. And, and you know, it's, it's clearly no doubt who was going to win this match. I just think maybe they would have made it more competitive. And they said, ah, shit. Time to go home. And I think if they had gotten maybe another seven, because both of those guys are incredible workers. You know, Terry Taylor often flies below a lot of radars, but that guy really was a hell of a worker. And I think if he hadn't hurt himself and they had maybe five to seven minutes more to go, you, you may have seen some really cool stuff in there. Just unfortunately, they had to they had to call the audible and go home on it. Yeah, you know, and I mean, like you say, and the rooster had just come off that squash of Bobby Heenan at WrestleMania five. So you know, you could say, well, th- I think it was anticipated two guys on the rise. Who's going to come out on top on this one. And, and it ends up being, you know, very anticlimactic to say the least. Uh, another big feud that we got coming out of WrestleMania five was Tito Santana and Rick Martel. And we get that whole storyline gets furthered here as we got the rockers teaming up with Tito to take on the fabulous Rougeau brothers with Jimmy Hart and Rick Martel was slick. And I mean, you're looking at, I'm looking at this like, wow, those are six guys who could all go. And, and we know they could all go two really excellent tag teams, two solo guys who are excellent as well. I thought the match was pretty good, to be honest with you. Tito absorbs all sorts of punishment 
they build the hot tag in this match really, really well. And once it's made, all sorts of chaos ensues. Shawn Michaels looks fantastic in this match. I mean, really looks awesome. The ref loses sight, however, of who the legal man is. Martel takes full advantage of this by clobbering Marty Jannetty in the head and pinning him, and the heels get the victory. Um, I thought it was a good match. I, I, I enjoyed this one. I thought the tag teams worked really well together. Tito and Rick Martel, lots of heat there, and and you could you could tell that these guys are having fun with this feud, and they're having fun with this match, and they know how to work it. I mean, they got... How many Hall of Famers do we have? Well, Martel should be a Hall of Famer, damn it. And the Rougeau should be a Hall of Famer, too. Uh, but, you know, and Sean will. And Marty, probably not. Tito is. <laughs> so you got a, you got one guy who is in the Hall of Fame and a, several others who should be but aren't. And then one guy who's not well, going to get there. Sean is. Sean's Sean in the, is. Is he? For, oh, through DX. DX. You're right. No, he's in on his own, too, I think. I think so. Yeah, I you're right. Too. What the hell? Yeah, I remember. Right. Sean Michaels. Distinctly remember his Hall of Fame speech because he thanked his Jeez, wife Dave. for letting him go out and play wrestler one more time. I, I, yeah, I keep thinking that he's going to come out of retirement someday, but I like, forget that she, doesn't matter. And she was like, "Damn it, look me in the eye." <laughs> All right, stop it. So I correct myself. One team has got two Hall of Famers, and Marty's not going to make it, Tony. Let's be honest about that. And the Rougeau should be in, and Martel should Marty, be in as well. Listen. There's the trivia question, though. Marty is the one of the Rockers to actually have it count and win the tag team titles. When who's he? Who was he tag team champion with? Him and One Two Three Kid won it on Raw. Did didn't they? they? Okay. Gosh, I forget that. No, that was Bob Holly, Bubba. Pretty sure it was him and Sparkplug Holly that won the tag team. Marty, Marty is an intercontinental. Marty did win the IC title from Sean and Raw. He did. You may want to look that up. I'm pretty sure that was a. Uh, it was Sparky. Was Sparky Plug at the time. Or Bob Spark Plug Holly, one of the two, but I'm Spark, pretty sure it was Bob Holly. Spark Plug Holly making an appearance on the Big Four Project. Wow. Uh, Tony, let me ask you first. Is this one of your... Am I wrong? Yeah. It, okay. All right. Then I was wrong. Is this one I stand you... corrected. <laughs> January 10th, 1994. They held the titles for a week and lost them to the Quebecers. A week later. Wow. Okay. All right. I was wrong. The Quebecers. Man, we're getting... We're, di- we're deep in the weeds and we're not even to WrestleMania 9 yet. But, uh, <laughs> we, we. We, we. Tony, what do you think of this match? Is this one of your above par matches, or is this at the cut line, is, or what? No, no. There was three matches that were above par and good. This was probably the the first that tag team match, probably just by a little bit, is is the best match without taking biased away from anything for me. Um, and this was the third best match. These are all like out of ten. These three matches were all like over a seven, just barely, um, in my opinion. But it, it's it's fun. You brought up the rivalry between um santana and rick the model and the crowd is so locked in on that rivalry and that story and the 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 rougeos and the and the, and the rockers they they know how to work and they know how to work and listen to the crowd and the rougeos are like underrated one of the best heel tag teams ever and then you put slick and and jimmy and it's really a really good playbook on how to get a six-man tag over and even have two more uh entities as far as superstars go and two managers on the outside and not be cluttered this was a really good match it was really fun they did a great job um especially i think rick the martell stood out the best the way he played the heel and, and got over more than anything there yeah yeah he was excellent in this match i think him and him and sean were the strongest in this match in my opinion well for the res- i mean i mean yeah really there's we were really going out on a limb of all time he showed out really <laughs> yeah, really <laughs> even at this early stage of things uh dj what are your what are your thoughts on this match i think this is one of the better ones on the card 
It really was. I was one of those people that absolutely loved the Rick Martel and Tito Santana. I was a huge fan of Tito Santana anyway. He was uh, my first Intercontinental Champion, and he just brought such a legitimacy with him. The way that he worked, the way that he he took heat, the way that he got the crowd into everything he did. And I, side note, we went to a uh, house show around this time period while they were feuding, and Martel and Santana had the best match on the card. So I was really invested in this one. I was a huge Rockers fan. I went home sad this night because my boys lost. But all in all, hell of a great match. Yeah, it really it really was. And, and I mean, like we said, guys who can go, whether they were champions or Hall of Famers. And thank you, PC Tunney, for keeping DJ and I straight on our transgressions as far as wrestling history goes. Uh, this is why he makes the big money, folks. This is why PC it Tunney is. makes it's the why he's the boss. Big One of the bosses. Money. Now, the next <laughs> match, in my opinion. It's it's my favorite match on the card, Technic, technically speaking from a wrestling standpoint, not the greatest match of all. But when you take everything into consideration and, you know, Tony, you're saying that the crowd was into locked into the Martel <clears throat> Santana thing from the last match. They are arguably not even for the main event. I think this is the most white hot the crowd is at any point in SummerSlam 89 is for this rematch between Ravishing Rick Rude with Bobby Heenan, the Intercontinental Champion, taking on the Ultimate Warrior, Warrior trying to get that title back. I thought it was a damn good match, and I credit that almost entirely to Rick Rude, who was master. I mean, I thought his performance in this match was twice as good as it was in WrestleMania Five. I thought he did a, a magnificent job in this match. Um, there's a ref bump earlier in the match that's going to prevent a Warrior victory. Um, rude rallies and ceases the advantage can't put the warrior away he even hits this really awesome pal driver that you think for a second that's going to keep him down but it doesn't um, it was like a it was like a it was almost like a tombstone but only he was facing the other way and then when he went for the pile driver he had both his arms wrapped around his waist and he kind of made his his knees go out on an angle so that warrior's shoulders kind of slid down him i was a, think it was, this was supposed to be a power bomb uh, maybe and warrior it was fucked supposed up to be and- a power bomb that the warrior had never taken and he wasn't sure how to take the bump or he's like uh, that ain't gonna work for me brother <laughs> and credit to rick rude to make the adjustment into uh, like yeah. a, a a variation of a styles clash sort of thing i mean i don't but it, it was it was a big it was a big move at the time and one that you think like however they pulled it off i mean again credit to rick rude for turning this into the most that you could get um it's the appearance of Rowdy Roddy Piper, though, that is going to turn this match completely around. Piper comes out there. He's giving Rude a bunch of shit. Rude gets distracted. This is a fatal mistake for Ravishing Rick Rude. Warrior's going to hit this massive belly-to-back uh, suplex, catching Rude on the second rope. Avalanche belly-to-back before they really even had those in vogue. Um, gorilla Press Slam Splash. Ultimate Warrior is a two-time Intercontinental Champion. Uh, crowd explodes got to be honest with you guys i love this match i'm a big warrior fan at this point in time and still looking back on this match it is i'd say two to three times better than their match at wrestlemania 5 thank you rick rude for that uh this was to me this is the match of the night dj i'll turn it over to you first man your thoughts ultimate warrior two-time intercontinental champion recap recapturing this in a Probably the biggest moment of SummerSlam. I mean, that's two years in a row that the Warriors captured the IC title at SummerSlam, and they've been pretty big moments both times. I, I absolutely loved this match. I was a huge Warrior fan. Uh, this was, to me, justification for the sad way that he lost it at WrestleMania Five. 
Uh, yeah, credit all the credit in the world to Rick Rude. I think I said on this show before, Rick Rude brought out the best in the Ultimate Warrior. And I know as we lead into the next chapter of this um, series that we're doing, Tony is going to probably have an argument to the contrary on that because of the match that we'll get into. But I think from an overall work rate standpoint, uh, Warrior, uh, to his credit, hit a very good-looking pile driver on Rick Rude. He hit a great-looking power slam on Rick Rude. Um, it's one of those scoop power slams, kind of like what Randy Orton does. It wasn't real crisp and quick like Randy, but it was a nice, smooth, safe power bomb. Again, that's highly dependent on the guy taking it. So credit to Rick Rude, but it looked good. Um, yeah, Rude, Rude makes the Warrior, you know, show up, and and I, I appreciated that because you know it's the Warrior had his moments. If if you didn't bring it out of him, he wouldn't give it to you. Tony, would you? Is this is one of your above par matches? I would hope so. Oh yeah, this. I mean, if it, with my bias, it's you know, it's such a monumental moment him winning the belt back and really just starting the true ascent to where they're going with all of this by you know legitimizing the fact that he's winning this feud. He's got the second most piece of hardware in the entire industry. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. DJ. I, I was just gonna finish up your thought. I, I, I'll go in a minute. Um, it, it's just, it, it's just he's not, he's not a good worker. It's such a credit to Rick Rude on how well this match comes off because you can see, even right from the first interactions they're having, is Rude's readjusting to be back in the ring with Ultimate Warrior, even though they've had this feud for a while. He must just love house shows where he gets to work with somebody else inside the ring. But at the same time, you don't get this type of energy or anything. I think one of the funniest things I thought of was Warrior running down the ramp and it had a turn in it. I'm like, oh shit, I hope he doesn't crash out on the, you know, <laughs> his race and he can get Warrior hits the rail. And, and how perfectly built these new WrestleMania uh, long walk stages would have been for the ultimate warrior. And, you know, how much stamina and cocaine could he have had before getting down that, you know, long walk? He'd have been blown up before he hit the ring. You see that at WrestleMania six, there's a long ramp that he's running down, Tony, and a lot of cocaine involved in that whole situation. It's a hell of a drug. (laughs) So, you know, quick thought. And I just fell out of my damn head. Um, Ah, crap, if it comes up, I'll... Oh, no, what I like... One thing I liked about this match is how the the match was centered around the feud with the Ultimate Warrior and Rick Rude, but they used that to springboard into, you know, Rick Rude versus Rowdy Piper and the Ultimate Warrior versus Andre the Giant. And it was such a great transition. It was one of the things WWE was really doing well at the time. We're wrapping up one story. We've tied a bow on it. And from there, we've spun off into two separate... And, and feuds that really resonated with the crowd and meant something. Yeah, and we have not seen the end of Hulk, of Ultimate Warrior and Rick Rude. We will see that one Correct. year from from here at SummerSlam '90. But yeah, this was this was I, I mean, with all due respect to the main event, I think this was the match that had the crowd probably the and this is probably where Vince starts to get the idea that hey, there's something going on with the Warrior here because the reaction that the Warrior got was arguably stronger than the reaction Hogan got at the end of this night. So Vince is probably watching this thinking, Hey, wait a sec, something to keep an eye on here. And and we're going to see how that kind of morphs over the next few months. But I think this was one of those moments early on where Vince is like, all right, hold on a second. Now let's, let's, let's analyze where we ended up with this night. So, um, the next match, not so good. This is definitely on Tunney's below par thing. I don't even have to ask him about it. The Twin Towers with Slick and Andre the Giant. That's a lot of beef. I mean, Big E would say, B 
big men slapping meat with other big, however he says it, Tony. But anyway, big, there's a lot of what big meaty men slapping meat. There's some big meaty men slapping a lot of meat in this match. I mean, just on that one side of the ring, Twin Towers, Andre the Giant, uh, still with Bobby Heenan, taking on Demolition and King Duggan. Uh, this is a fairly lame match, I would have to say, because there's no way that the guys on one side of the ring should be losing this. But they do, because Akeem has it won after he crushes Smash with a splash off the second rope. The ref's distracted, though, of course. And if there's Hacksaw Jim Duggan involved in a match at this point in time, it's as certain as death and taxes. Somebody's getting hit in the head with a two by four, and it's Akeem in this one. And then Hacksaw pulls Smash on top of Akeem, who scores the pin, and the good guys, the baby faces, get the win. Eh, this is pretty lame. I mean, I'm looking at this now like there's no way these guys should win. Oh, wait, Hacksaw's involved. There's a two-by-four. Yep, somebody's getting hit in the back of the head with a two-by-four. Tony, you got anything to add to this one? Oh, no. <laughs> uh dj any any thoughts on on this match it is kind of what it is right yeah it is what it is like i said i just watched this last night and until you refresh my memory i forgot the finish <laughs> i bet on that's that's honest to god i forgot the finish i'm like what happened on that match because i legitimately forgot yeah i mean uh, andre's involvement in the match not very much <laughs> so it's just it's just andre was really on the downswing at this he point. really was i mean he's there for like, cause it's Andre. I mean, he's still yeah. a recognizable face and a, and a box office attraction, but yeah, I mean, we're looking, we're like four years before he passes away. So there's not a lot left in Andre the giant at this point in time, but he is, he's on the marquee and he is going to move. He's a needle mover. He's going to sell tickets. Yep. Um, we get the next match, which is like, why? But anyway, Hercules versus Greg Valentine with Jimmy Hart. Jimmy's already having a kind of rough night. Uh, the best part of the match is rugged Ronnie Garvin's um, interpretation, I guess, of uh, of Valentine and Jimmy Hart <laughs> and what's going on. Uh, the match is just an it's kind of like just an attachment and a distraction to whatever rugged Ronnie Garvin his his describing what Valentine's doing is pretty funny stuff. Hercules is uh, he's poised in the corner. He's punching Greg Valentine. Valentine is going to scoop Hercules' legs up, get his own feet on the ropes. And of course, the ref never sees it. Valentine gets the victory. But rugged Ronnie Garvin, furthering this feud between him and Valentine, declares that Hercules won, setting off a brawl with Hercules and rugged Ronnie Garvin versus Greg the Hammer Valentine. Other than Garvin's commentary, which was kind of funny, this is just a complete clusterfuck. And it's like at the end of this is like, I'm not really sure who won. I think it's Greg Val. It's Valentine, right? Even though rugged Ronnie Garvin declaring that Hercules won in the ref is kind of sort of going along with this nonsense. DJ, I know you were a big rugged Ronnie Garvin fan and he didn't do shit in WWE. And this is really kind of like trying to, to I mean, rugged Ronnie Garvin being comic relief, not the best of strategies. No, they, they had a legitimate tough guy that they could have pushed and they chose to do something different with him. I don't think he was in WWE any longer than the Brainbusters were, and I felt like he feuded with Greg Valentine from the day he set foot in to the day he left. <laughs> it was the longest feud ever, and it had a great exclamation point. It was one of those ones where we did get a satisfying conclusion, but uh, wow, I, I can't say anything else about that. I, I have nothing to say about the match. The match was terrible. Yeah, exactly. Tony, uh, I imagine your response to this match is going to be very short and brief. Uh, it, uh, do you have any response? It would only, uh, you know, simulate and parallel the actual match, which was what, like three minutes? 
right? Something, something yeah. horrible. Yeah. It, whatever. You know, they got those guys on the card. I mean, Valentine's still an important guy on the roster as is Hercules. Obviously they were there to just get kind of Ronnie Garvin. Ronnie Garvin is just like not a WWF guy to me though. His delivery. He's not, not he never all. was. Yeah. He does not have, you have to have charisma and Ronnie Garvin really didn't. He was a legit tough guy. And yeah, we all know he beats flair for the title and you know, the stories about that are what they are, but um, yeah, it just didn't translate over to WWE at all. And I mean, and they tried, they tried to inject charisma into him in this match, I think with the stuff he was doing on commentary, but it just, it, it's funny to an extent, but it kind of falls flat. You know, there you go. Onward. We move Ted DiBiase with Virgil taking on the Superfly Jimmy Snooker. They teased his return at WrestleMania five PC Tunney. Here he is. Superfly is back up uh, Snooker. Meanwhile, he's got DiBiase down and out. He sets up to hit the Superfly Superfly splash. Excuse me. Virgil goes up on the apron and causes Superfly to chase him down. DiBiase takes advantage of this Ram Snooker into the post and gets a count out victory. Post-match, Jimmy Snooker takes his frustration on Virgil by hitting him with the Superfly splash. Um, Not a great match, but probably a smart finish at this point in time because I imagine DiBiase is getting sick of losing and was probably like, I'm not putting some, another motherfucker over. Um, they're like, well, we just brought back Superfly. We can't have him lose to you clean. And they're like, hey, let's do it this way. DiBiase gets a count out victory. Superfly doesn't lose any momentum in his return. Virgil takes another beating, which is pretty much par for the course at this point in time. Pretty, not a good match, but a pretty smart finish, I thought. Tony, what do you uh, what do you think? It's really interesting. The million dollar man kind of mo- slowly moving his way down the card here again. <laughs> You know, and, resist, it, and resisting it in certain pl- pockets and places. Well, yeah, I mean, between three and six is really this epic rise and fall of the million dollar man. So that's interesting to see. But, you know, you talk about the lack of charisma between like guys like Greg Valentine and and um, and Ronnie Garvin and, and, you know, Hercules. But here you this is where you have charisma. Look at guys like the million dollar man and Superfly. You, you said it perfectly. It was such a smart finish because everybody stays clean. Everybody kind of looks a little bit better and everybody gets a little more heat and a little more gas on whichever side of the coin they're trying to play. Yeah. I, I thought I, when I watched this back, I was like, you know, that makes, that makes sense. It's a smart finish. Um, I, I like it. DJ, what do you think of this thing? I mean, Superfly's return. He's been gone for several years uh, after, you know, his in appearance in the corner in WrestleMania one. And now he's back. Uh, injected in this whole thing. He's obviously not going to be the main event kind of attraction that he was when, like, say, Backlund was the champion, and he had one of those iconic moments where he jumps off the cage. He did it to Backlund, did it to Morocco. But still, what do you think, DJ? Smart finish on the part of WWE here? Absolutely protected both guys. That's that's all that finish was. You're not going to, you know, job out DiBiase, and, you know, obviously Superfly's on his big return. There were not big plans for Superfly, but he still... Again, he's a needle mover, you know, much like Andre the Giant. He's yep. on that that downslope of his career. Still in incredible shape for a guy his age at the time, but definitely not somebody that you're going to, you know, make even an intercontinental champion at this run. Not when you've got what what's very obvious throughout the earlier portion of this card, a young Shawn Michaels and a young Bret Hart, who it's you're starting to see the earliest glimpses of those guys being breakout stars. You're not about to saddle. And then obviously with the Ultimate Warrior, Rick Rude, and guys like that, there's no place for a guy like Jimmy Snuka in any title picture. But you got to do something with him because he sells T-shirts and he puts butts in the seats. Especially in the New York metropolitan area. I mean, he, uh, yeah, 
Madison Square Garden, IZOD Center, whatever the hell you want to call it. So yeah, that that all makes sense. You're absolutely right. Superfly is is he was legendary status for what he had done at Madison Square Garden on a couple of occasions. But yeah, smart finish. Everybody gets protected. Nobody gets dinged up too much. Let's go to the main event, fellas. The Macho Man, Randy Savage, with the human wrecking machine, Zeus. They've got Queen Sherry with them in the corner, taking on Hulk Hogan, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, and a surprise, fellas. We get a surprise as they've got the lovely Miss Elizabeth with them. The look on Macho Man Randy Savage's face when Liz shows up is absolutely priceless, right, guys? I mean, yeah. I, I have a question about that, though. Did they, because they kept um, referring to the secret weapon and Hulk was very cryptic with, Hulk gave a really creepy promo teasing Liz like she's riding on the back of the Harley brother and the long legs and the, like the whole, it was kind of a creepy promo um, leading up to that. But interesting before the match starts, they keep saying he's got a secret surprise, a secret weapon. The genius Lanny Poffo cuts a promo at the beginning of this match and he tells everybody basically that it's Liz. So like, did he give away the secret there or did we know it was Liz all along? Like in, in, in storyline, did they tell us it was going to be Liz or did he kind of, spill the beans there and blow the surprise early on. I mean, I remember from 89, they could, it can only go one way. I don't think he gave it, it away. It could only be one person. I, I don't think he gave it away per se, but it really could only be one. I mean, there's nothing else. Who are they going to bring in? And and right. Liz made all the sense in the world. So yeah, I forgot that the genius, uh, Randy Savage's brother did something at the beginning of this, but I did. I mean, Savage, you got to love the guy. I mean, he sells the shock, even though it's not shocking at all, but he right. sells the shock and horror and the realization that what, you know, she really, Hogan really did. Have, ooh, he really did have <laughs> lust in his eyes for it. He's, yeah, he's, she's right here now. But uh, anyway, Tony, uh, you got any thoughts on <laughs> Savage's reaction when Liz comes out? Well, he's one of the best facial guys in the, in the, in the business, right? The, 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 the emotion that comes just from, the look on his face and the way he can, you know, rip the sunglasses off and the eyes widened and the penetrating stare, plus all the things that have gone on, you know, Elizabeth had to be there. Although I think a, a real uh, breakthrough night for Sherry though, I thought she was just wonderful in this match and everything that went on with the loaded purse and things of that nature. So I think a real big key player here tonight was Sherry, but it was interesting to see Elizabeth back and, you know, I mean, Hogan and Macho, they know how to work off of each other. I mean, you know, you you, you throw in a, a guy who can, you know, bring excitement to the crowd in, in Beefcake, someone the crowd believes in with his gimmick, and then you got Zeus. So it, it was, it's a fun match. It's not a good match, but it's fun. Well, we're going to get into that. We got to clarify when Tony said Savage had the best facials, he's talking about emotions and that sort of thing, well, not I, anything else. I'm just here things, you know, <laughs> just need to clarify this for, for the kids at home. Anyway, uh, kids shouldn't be listening to the show probably. But anyway, the match itself is uh, Savage and Zeus just dominate this match. Zeus is impervious to pain or anything that Hulk Hogan or Brutus Beefcake can possibly do to him. Savage is going to clobber uh, Brutus in the head with Sherry's loaded purse, but Hulk is going to make numerous saves in this match. So Hogan, you know, we talk about his work rate, but Hulk is, is the workhorse in this match as far as like saving the match because it's over several times. In the closing moments, though, Hulk finally drops Zeus to a knee. Chaos interrupts. Uh, as as you've got uh, Hulk and everybody running around the ring, Hulk is going to end up with uh, Sherry's purse. And he clobbers Zeus in the jaw with it. 
then he's going to slam him. He drops the leg drop and he gets the pinfall victory as right before Zeus can kick out of this thing. which is like, it's like, I don't know what he's supposed to kick out ahead of the three count, but too late. Anyway, post-match Hogan is going to hit Sherry with an atomic drop. Liz wallops Sherry in the face with her own purse. Liz and Brutus then team up to cut off her long braid. And that is how SummerSlam 89 comes to an end. Um, <laughs> again, I don't know this whole abusing women aspect of things would go over so well by modern standards, but it sure was fun in this match. And if there's anybody who deserved it, it was Queen Sherry. Tony, you kind of mentioned it earlier about the match. Turn it back over to you now. Your thoughts on how this match went down. Zeus was pretty much like, I don't know, the only way they could beat him was with a loaded purse and all this other shit going on. And then, of course, Sherry gets uh, gets her hair cut off a little bit. Um, it says her braid wasn't Bianca Belair status, but it's getting close at this point in time. And now it's no more. You talk about the braid being cut off. They they initially did like just the end. And I'm like, oh, well, that's not too bad. They cut a big piece off. And, and they got Sherry, then they got happy they, with themselves. It, yeah. And I was like, well, maybe maybe that was fake. And she had it all braided up underneath there. But Sherry can work a number of different styles. So she just gets over completely in this match. Um Zeus is just, it's interesting. I'll give you, I'll give you a take like this. Instead of talking about how much I didn't really love the match, although it was fun and Hogan did stand out, but you know, like we said, him and Macho, they just can, they can create something for the crowd that is really easy for them to do no matter what they're working together against each other. But think about Hulk Hogan and Zeus, right? He's conquering this guy impervious to pain uh, that, that is just a, a dominant force and he conquers it. But what's the next impervious to pain dominant force that's standing in front of him? So we're just kind of escalating the scale to which Hogan has to defeat to maintain his championship as we're heading towards, you know, big, big time showdown. Right. DJ, your thoughts on this, uh, this epic encounter, the main event of SummerSlam 89, which was an interesting match to be sure. Uh, Absolute sports entertainment spectacle. And I was sports entertained watching it. Even as I watched it again, I hadn't seen it. I don't think I've seen this match since it first aired on pay-per-view. So I watched it again, you know, like the entire show last night. Hogan really was the standout here. And for, you know, a lot of the people online that, you know, kvetch about how Hogan wasn't a worker, go back and, and, and pay attention to what Hogan did in this match and really what Hogan did through a lot of his early WWE run. I mean, he made these matches seem more important than they were just by the way that he worked in the ring. No, he wasn't doing, you know, overhand wrist locks and hurricane rattles and stuff like that and moonsaults, but the, the work he was putting in to make you buy into what was going on in the ring was absolutely incredible. And this, there was no better spotlight for that side of Hogan than this match right here because they took a guy like Zeus who had absolutely no ring experience whatsoever beyond what little they probably did with him in preparation for this match and between Hogan, Savage, and to his credit, Beefcake, they made this a fun, believable main event for for this SummerSlam. Yeah, and I don't think Hulk Hogan gets enough credit where credit is due for certain things like his selling of not, you know, Zeus didn't do a lot of moves to him, but his selling of like Hulk Hogan is f- afraid of Zeus and his reaction to everything that Zeus does to put him over as strongly as possible, uh, I think probably goes a little understated when people look back at this. It's it's brief. It's only a few months that we get Hogan and Zeus. But when you're looking for it, I mean, Zeus is every bit the transitional challenger between Macho yeah. Man and Ultimate Warrior. 
And if you, I mean, you're looking around the landscape as to who else could have challenged Hogan in that time frame that we hadn't seen already. Yeah, maybe Mr. Perfect would have been somebody good, but I think Vince really wanted a somebody who we could buy into. This is a credible threat to Hulk Hogan. I don't know if Hulk can take this guy. And it's, it's, funny, think, you mentioned, it's funny you mentioned Mr. Perfect because I think it's December, December like something of 89. I went to a house show and Hogan was the champ and he defended the title against Mr. Perfect. Right. He, it's coming. But I think maybe Vince was like, at this point in time, it's like, I can't do that on pay-per-view. I, I need something bigger, flashier, something that really stands out as a threat to Hulk Hogan. Zeus was you need your kaiju. You need your kaiju fights yes. on the big pay-per-views at the time. And that's what sold the tickets were the kaiju fights. Yeah. And that's what this is. you know. And, and I don't know people have criticized the match because Savage really kind of looked like shit in comparison because he wasn't involved enough. The focal point was Hogan and beefcake versus Zeus. And, you know, every time Zeus got in there, everybody like held their collective breath, but Savage is Savage. He doesn't, you know, he's just, he's just out there directing traffic. So anyway, guys, that does it for SummerSlam 89, which was a, I thought a pretty good card, mostly really good matches, a few clunkers here and there. No doubt about that. Some, some shitty stuff going on, but by and large, that warrior match, the, uh, the tag matches were fantastic, except for the Twin Towers and Andre. We're going to leave that out. But Warriors match, the main event was excellent. The tag matches were good. DJ, I'll turn it over to you first, man. Scale of 1 to 10, what are you going to give SummerSlam 89? I'll give this a 7.5. I'll give it a 7.5. Nice. Tony, what do you give this uh, show? Man, like 6 at the most, just because Warrior won the, the IC pack. <laughs> Uh, that's the only reason it's getting a six that's pretty low marks from tunny yeah that is pretty low for pc tunny i'm gonna give this a seven out of ten a little bit just a notch below where dj was i thought there's enough really here on this uh and it is important because it's the second SummerSlam, and it really solidifies this as a as a marquee event you know you've had some pretty major matches you know you had warrior standing out two years ago two big tag team matches involving hogan and savage except on opposite sides this year clearly showing where the, where the money is at this point in time. Um, we're going to take a commercial break, and then we will come back, and we're going to delve into Survivor Series 1989. Does it suck dick as bad as Tunney said, or is it a little bit better than that? I, I don't know. Tunney, what do you think? We're going we're gonna to figure it out. We'll find out after this. Why should you visit TheChairShot.com? TheChairShot.com is your home for hard-hitting reviews, news, opinion, and analysis with attitude. Why? Because you're smarter than the average fan. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. All right. Welcome back to the Big Four Project. It has been... You know, it's been a couple months since we recorded SummerSlam 89. And to pull the curtain back completely, one PC Tunney has been so excited to talk about Survivor Series 89 that he just the 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 motivation to do this second part has kind of been lost on on us a little bit. Uh, it, it's a riveting one. Right, Tunney? Tony just wants to get I'll, to the next chapter. Yeah, I'll take the majority of the blame. But, it, you know, we just our schedules didn't kind of match up either. And plus, we do so much other stuff outside of that and other stuff together that, you know, it's hard sometimes to really want to sit down for four hours uh, when you don't want to talk about something. Because, folks, let's face it, this was what, one, five, five Survivor Series matches all over 20 minutes that could have easily been done in like 
10 to 12 minutes each. There's no title shots. There's nothing. There's just a couple of good finishes to some of these matches. So hang in there. It'll get better. We'll, uh, we'll get through this. We'll, we'll, we'll hit the Royal rumble and WrestleMania next. And, and we'll have that watch along, right, Dave, we're going to do the first watch along Hogan warrior. Right. We will talk about that a little bit at the end, but let's get into survivor series 89. Now as some backstory where we left off Hulk Hogan, Brutus beefcake defeated Zeus and Randy or macho King, Randy Savage. At SummerSlam 1989, Sherry involved, Elizabeth involved. After that match, they kind of like Zeus vanished for a little a little bit. And then when he reappeared, you thought, oh, maybe it was just a one-off sort of thing. When he reappears, though, he's no longer aligned with Savage. Now he aligns himself with the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase. And he actually, you know, DiBiase tries to beat Hogan for the title on another edition of Saturday Night's main event. In a recurrent theme, Ted comes up short in this title uh title opportunity um and it's after this match takes place though then zeus kind of evolves his character a little bit tony and and he he introduces this the closest thing he had to a finishing move which is like the next snap you know where he grabs him and like he's gonna snap his neck and break his neck and kill him um so i guess that's the closest thing that zeus ever got to like a a finishing move and, you know, and that's kind of where we we lead into Survivor Series 89. And there's stuff where we'll talk. We'll talk a little bit more about the aftermath of Survivor Series 89 and how we kind of close the book on the whole Zeus chapter afterwards. But anyway, that's kind of the backstory of the more important thing. I mean, you got storylines continuing and everything else. But um, this Survivor Series, November 23rd, 1989, the Rosemont Horizon, Chicago, Illinois, uh, this is the first year, and as Tony has indicated, this is not the greatest of Survivor Series. It's not god-awful, I don't think, but it's it's got some problems. And this is the first year that, A, the teams drop to four instead of five. So we go from five-on-five five to four-on-four, four, which you think would help speed things up. And we finally get these dumb team names. And I know talking with Ray Cash in the past, he hates the concept of team names. Some of them are pretty lame. Some of them aren't so bad. You got Gorilla Monsoon, you got Jesse the Body Ventura on commentary. So you got your WrestleMania commentary team. So there's a bonus point. You know, okay, that that works. Um, the first match of the night, the Enforcers featuring <laughs> the big boss. Is it the Enforcers? Yeah, the Enforcers featuring yep, yep. the big boss man, Bad News Brown, Rick the Model Mar- Well, he's not the model yet. Rick Martell, Honky Tonk Man. They've got outside the ring, they've got Slick and Jimmy Hart. They're yep. taking on the dream team, which is Brutus the Barber Beefcake, Tito Santana, the Red Rooster, and the American Dream, baby, Dusty Rhodes. He's out there, so he's in this match. Um, All right, so, I mean, the the, the first team names, they kind of make sense. Um, At the beginning of this thing, you got Tito Santana, Rick Martel continuing their rivalry. They have a pretty good go at it, with uh, Santana getting the better of it for quite a while. Santana tries to pin Martel with an O'Connor roll. Martel rolls through, grabs a handful of Tito's trunks, and gets the elimination. So score another one for the model, Rick Martel, who will win this rivalry uh, as things go along. I don't know if Tito ever gets like a really definitive win over Martel the whole time. But anyway, uh, Martel gets the elimination. Tito's gone. We then get, as this is going on, Tony, we get our first shot of Sweet Sapphire in the crowd. And we know where this is going to lead us to in, in a few months with WrestleMania six, but this is the first time we see sweet Sapphire in the crowd. And it's like, okay, what's happening. And here's where this match kind of goes off the rails a little bit more. Mr. Tony, 
It's a carbon copy of last year, so no one learned anything from a year ago as far as having Bad News Brown on your team. Because the big boss man accidentally is going to nail nail Bad News Brown with a clothesline. Bad News gets pissed. He storms off and gets counted out again. So it is a re complete recycling of the year before. And like nobody learned that Bad News Brown is just not a team player. I right. Well, hey? here's the here's the thing too, right? Like he, Bad News Brown, they come, he comes to the back and they're like, "Yeah, you're you're gonna get you know you're not winning. You're not gonna be a survivor." And he's like, well, then I'm getting counted out. You're not pinning me. You know, I'm not submitting. You're not pinning me. That's what it sounds like to me. And you go back to like, like the Zeus thing, too, is like just I just wonder. I wonder how like malleable he was as far as being Zeus for the WWF. Like, you know, I, I just wonder that sometimes I'm not questioning whether or not he was. I just wonder how much effort he really put in. But, yeah, as far as Bad News Brown goes, storyline wise, uh Last pick, probably, when it comes to picking Survivor Series teams now? I would say so. Mr. Irrelevancy for a very good reason, because uh, he's shown two years in a row he is not a team player. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, Zeus, Zeus had a job to do, which was to, I don't know, and I don't, I don't know, and we'll talk about it in the next chapter as to, you know, when did Vince really get the idea about Warrior? And I think we actually talked about it when we talked to Survivor or SummerSlam 89 with the reaction that Warrior got by beating Rick Rude and Vince probably at that point realizing, hey, this guy is really building up some momentum right now. Um, You know, you had Savage who Hogan had beaten. You had to have somebody transitional who was a credible threat to Hulk Hogan. Okay, Zeus checked those boxes, even though he wasn't going to win. But anyway, getting back to this match, we'll talk more Zeus in a little bit. Brutus Beefcake nails Honky Tonk Man with a high uh, running knee strike, and he eliminates the Honky Tonk Man. So, okay, Brutus, who was unsuccessful dethroning Honky Tonk Man when he was Intercontinental Champion, he gets a little bit of a... I know DJ and I have talked about it, whether Brutus got any sort of definitive victories over Honky Tonk. This is probably as close as you're going to get. Martel is going to... He goes for, a, I think it's like a mounted pinfall attempt on Brutus and grabs the middle rope for some extra leverage. But the ref is going to catch him. Brutus reverses this and pins Martel to leave Boss Man in a three versus one hole. Um, but, you know, we've seen this in the past where people sometimes bail out on these matches when the odds become very eh, leveraged against them. And other people stick in there. Now, Bossman, of course, as we know, is going to turn face pretty soon here. And this is kind of, I think, maybe an indication that there is more to him than just typical cowardly heel because he doesn't bail on this match. He's going to catch Red Rooster. There you go. There's a Red Rooster sighting in the Bossman slam. He eliminates him. So now it's two on one. Dusty, however, is going to hit Bossman with a big cross body block and he pins the big boss man to get the win for the dream team however (laughs) big boss man is going to get the last laugh as he attacks brutus with the nightstick handcuffs dusty to the ropes and lays a savage whooping on the american dream as well eventually brutus is going to uh, grab the the shears chases boss man and slick away and that is all she wrote for this match um i think you know it's it's certainly not a work of art, Tony. I you know we talk about a lot on the on the podcast modern day when you look at Cody Rhodes and you talk Dusty Rhodes and and was it just you know polka dots and did he get just laughed at by Vince the whole time? He fucking wins the Survivor Series right here. He gets the deciding pinfall. Um, you know, and he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna get a win over Macho Man Macho King at WrestleMania six. We'll talk about on the next chapter. So I have always thought it's a little unfair for people to suggest that Vince buried Dusty Rhodes 
a lot of that was Dusty's idea anyway. So I've never quite understood that here. You look at him, he gets put over pretty well right here. Uh, he, he had a job, right? He was getting paid, right? <laughs> he had lots of jobs. He was a son of a plumber. He was all sort. I mean, you saw him riding on the back of the trash trucks and all, doing all those vignettes and that sort of thing. Yeah, he had a job to do. He did it. I just I just remember now moving forward, like you brought up Sapphire before, like she she makes him even more red hot. Like they are over like Rover. I remember watching the pay-per-views and the crowds when they're together and they're on. People are in love with them. They think it's great. You got Dusty. Yes, he's running the pizza gimmick, as as uh, Tommy Rich would would say when when we talked to him. But you know, he made it work. That that's the bottom line. So once you can, hey, ask the new day. They didn't. They weren't in love with the, what they were doing at first, right? You know. I mean, so there's a lot of people like that that turn dog shit yeah. or chicken shit into chicken salad. None I don't want to eat a dog. I mean, I don't no think... dog. I don't want to eat dog salad. Right. I mean, you remember when the New Day started, none of us really thought it was going to work like it has, right? We just thought they're cycling through another gimmick. What, what is this gospel bullshit? But man, those, those guys made it work. And now mm-hmm. they're one of the most celebrated tag teams of all time. I think they're celebrating their, their 10th year anniversary or something like that coming up. I mean, they have the most reigns in the WWE, and I'd probably put them at easy. I mean, definitely top 10, maybe top five. Oh, yeah. Easy top five. I, I, I'd have to agree with you. And I and I really do hope we get like, you know, somebody loosens the strings a little bit so that we get that six man tag between the New Day versus the Elite, because that'll print money on its own. You know, oh, there's 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 so much that you bring in the elite in. And honestly, now the way things are going in AEW and it's funny that we just we just floated right away from Survivor Series. But anyway, now I think the way it is, I think the elite would be better off in WWE. They could do all their corny stuff. They could have their own show on the network and and have, I mean, like they were offered that before. It just makes more sense to me now, especially I, I think when their contracts up, they're gone. I think they're coming to the E grabbing that bag. They can always go I, back and do anything else they want. Yeah. I mean, and I know as we're recording this forbidden door two is happening tonight, which of course Danielson oh, versus nope. Okada, I've already bought it. So I'm going to be watching D- it. DP and I were like the worst thing about collision was now AEW is going to have pay-per-views on Sundays. And it's like, damn it. Saturdays are so nice, but it'll never happen with TV show. But yeah, right. tonight should be interesting. Right. And, and I, and I do, I've said, uh, I've gone on record saying that, you know, like you're saying Omega and the elite, if they get a legit offer, even if it's not for quite as much money, you know, if it, if it's going to give you a shot at WrestleMania, why wouldn't you take it? I know all the, you know, the, Numbers at Wembley. Is it all out or all in? Which one's at Wembley? <laughs> all, all in. All in. You know, the numbers are, they're talking about the largest gate since WrestleMania 32, which I'm like looking at that with a skeptical eye because I just I was in LA you, and it's like, wait, you what? You think they go north of 75? 75,000? I mean, they say they sold 65,000 already. Yeah. I mean, I think we got to see how the card plays out, you know, see what happens I mean, the, tonight. Yeah. I would. I mean, the biggest thing I think that they could do to, to sell even more tickets to get a bump would be don't let Je- don't let Sting and Jericho touch each other tonight. Don't don't let them touch each you got, other. You at got all. Naito. You got your Naito wish. He's he's the mystery partner. And then and then um, after that, they have a they're hey, Sting sixty four. They have a retirement match at at there. I mean, what a way to retire in front of seventy thousand people, probably. That'd you know, cool. against a guy you've never wrestled who's also a Hall of Famer, right? Yeah, we'll see what happens. I, I think Omega, I think the Elite would be smart to at least get that run in with WWE while there's still time. And then, like you're saying, they can go back and do anything. Um, it would be certainly, you say devastating to Tony Khan. I don't know, man. 
I don't know if it's devastating to AEW if they leave, you know. So, I mean, he brought CM Punk back, so you kind of see where his loyalty lies. Anyway, let's get back to Survivor Series 89. Enough talk about the current product. And Tony's like, do we have to? Yeah, we kind of do. Um, the next match is the King's Court featuring the Macho King Randy Savage, Greg the Hammer Valentine, Dino Bravo still around, still relevant, and Earthquake, Jimmy Hart's there, Sensational Sherry's there. Here comes the first of the really stupid names, the four yeah, the four definitely. by fours. Oh my goodness. Hacks- That's definitely Hacksaw came up with that one. Yeah, Hacksaw oh. Jim Duggan, Rugged Ronnie Garvin, Hercules, and really one of these things is not like the others, and that's Brett the Hitman Hart. Who is... Yeah, but you know what? That's just Vince continually trying to go. Yeah, Brett's going to be a singles guy at some point. Oh, I, no, every that, chance that, I get, I mean. every chance I get, you know, I want to see him. Yeah, you what look he's at got. you look at Duggan, Garvin, Hercules. Um, none of them can fill Brett's sweat socks. Maybe I would say, you know, as far as talent and that sort of thing. So, but you're right. This is, this is Vince starting to transition to get Brett involved in some single stuff. Although we're going to, we know that that's going to kind of take a back seat for a little while, but anyway, um, Dino Bravo is going to lay out Hercules with a big time clothesline. And then earthquake finishes him off with the earthquake splash. So you kind of get an idea pretty early on how this match is going to go. Um, It persists. Rugged Ronnie Garvin, Greg Valentine, they get in a brawl or a brutal, excuse me, it's a brutal chop fest. Um, but Hacksaw J- Jim, Jim Duggan, excuse me, is going to make a blind tag, crushes Valentine with a three point stance, and they get the elimination back. So we're back to three on three. Dino Bravo is going to then catch Ronnie Garvin with his patented side suplex. And look at Dino Bravo still eliminating bitches right now, Tony. Still being the man. We're down to uh, <laughs> three on two. However, Brett is going to then take himself out as he chases Bravo into the corner. Bravo moves. Brett crashes shoulder first into the post. Bravo then hits Brett with a shoulder breaker. And then Savage is going to hit the big elbow drop to eliminate the hitman. And this leaves Hacksaw Jim Duggan in a three-on-one hole. So second match. And and like like I said, Vince is trying to boost Brett, right? Like he got eliminated by the second biggest finishing move in WWF at the time. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Savage getting to do the elbow drop, Brett taking it like a champ. Uh, and, you know, keep, you're keeping Macho Man Randy Savage, Macho King Randy Savage strong and relevant. Yeah. And and you need yeah. to do that because he's, you could even see in this match, he's over with a lot of the people still. And, and you know, keeping him in the forefront of people's consciousness is a smart move. Hacksaw is going to hold his own in this three-on-one battle right up until Sherry low bridges him as he comes off the rope. Earthquake is going to, uh, he does some extra damage to, uh, to Hacksaw on the ring floor as Hacksaw gets counted out and the King's court gets a pretty emphatic victory post-match Hacksaw Jim, Jim Duggan nails Bravo and Savage with the two by four, which shouldn't surprise anybody because that's more Hacksaw's gimmick now than him actually winning matches is him hitting people with the two by four. Uh, I think, yeah, the right team won in this matter. It it pains me that I would have rather seen Brett be the last one standing and like maybe get a couple eliminations and then get eliminated by Savage. That would have been cool, but they weren't going to do that. Yeah, we weren't at that point in Brett's career yet. No, we, we weren't. Um, so a, a solid victory for the Kings court and, and yeah, you know, you look at it on paper and say they should have won and they did. And yeah, three out of four survivors too. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, then we get the genius with one of his typically 
dreadful poems, Tony. I, I mean, you know, rest in peace to Leaping Lanny Poffo and, of course, his brother, the Macho Man Randy Savage. Um, the genius was many things, a poet probably not, even though if he thought he was. A lord, you know, a, a top quality. I've heard Aesop Mitchell make better haikus than Lanny Poffo has done poems. So, and Aesop's actually good. Roses are red and violets are yellow. And I've heard that the genius is quite the dapper fellow. <laughs> Excellently done, Tony. That was good. I mean, you should have you should have been writing his lines for him. Yeah, well. We then get, and this this is, I think, you know, what we're talking about at the a few minutes ago. When we're talking about the warrior rising up in Vince's eyes as being a credible threat to Hogan, I think you know we 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 talked about it with SummerSlam '89. When you look at the match order on this card and you see what happens here, this solidifies the fact as to where Vince is starting to go. Vince's eye is definitely wandering in the Warriors' direction because Hulk Hogan's the WWF champion, Warriors the IC champ. It's not Hogan who main events this card. It is right here. We got the million dollar team, which is the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase, the powers of pain and the human wrecking machine, Zeus versus the most unoriginal team name of all time. But it works. It's the Hulkamaniacs, Jake, the snake Roberts, demolition, Hulk Hogan. Lots of uh, this one was pretty cool because there's lots of rivalries built in this. You know, you got the continuation of demolition and the power of powers of pain. Jake and, and DiBiase are going to get into a major issue coming up very soon. So this stuff all makes sense. Um, And yeah, I noticed, and this is in my notes, I wanted to point this out to you. And I I mean, I watched this months ago, but I put it in my notes. An interesting move by Vince to put this match at this point of the card by having Hulk go here instead of in the main event. I think you wanted to keep it away from the end and you wanted the finish to be the show to close with warrior being the final survivor. Right. But look at who the last three survivors are, everybody they really want to get over at this time. Um, so to put it first might have some people go up, oh, seen Hogan, you know, I'm good now. Uh, I know they had to pay for it, but you never know. Uh, but yeah, it's weird, it, it, but that's okay because it's where we're going. And right. And I think- out of, out of this being a poor pay-per-view and poorly like done matches for the most part, uh, they did have the right idea. Let's put it that way. There's, the execution was poor. There's some subtle stuff going on with this card that even though the match quality may not be what you'd want, there's stuff happening behind the scenes and there's things that are being tested out. I think Vince really wanted to see Ken Warrior close this show off effectively. How will the people, yeah, how, how will uh, the people react to that like you're saying are the people gonna bail because hulk came on next to last year do they stick around well as we see they stick around but let's get back to this match um zeus is going to do his next snap move on hulk hogan early on chokes him out ignores the ref and shoves the ref down this of course earns zeus a disqualification and that's it zeus is gone i mean and that's 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 the extent of it is just zeus choking down hulk snapping his neck and he gets disqualified, and that's that's all she wrote for the human wrecking machine in this match. So quickly, the million dollar team down four to three. Um, I don't know. You got any comments about? It? There's not much you can say about it. It's just it's just a disappointing kind of like all this build to this Hogan Zeus thing, and that's it. <laughs> I think I think they tricked Zeus into a getting paid by the minute kind of deal. You know, he was like, oh, by the minute, okay, great. And then they're like, here's three minutes. Do what you want to do. <laughs> Snap his neck. Uh, get get creative I, it, with it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it, it's I, 
it's interesting. I, I love the fact that, um, you know, we got Mr. Fuji out there as well. He really does enhance the match when you have someone on the outside, especially something just as long as this too. But I don't know. I was never a big fan of Zeus. I went and saw the movie and rooted so hardcore for Hulk Hogan. So even going rip, back and watching this rip. stuff, like even going back and watching this stuff leads me to ask questions. Like, I wonder how much the guy really cared. You're also asking questions like Dookie. What is that all about? <laughs> Uh, getting back to the match, you mentioned Mr. Fuji. He pays dividends here as he trips Axe as he comes off the rope. Warlord drops an elbow on him, and he gets eliminated, so we're back to three-on-three. Three. Um, Smash is then going to make a mistake. Doesn't see DiBiase make a blind tag to Barbarian. Smash nails DiBiase by dropping him onto the top rope, but the ref tells Smash Barbarian is the legal man. Just in time for Barbarian to hit Smash with a flying clothesline to eliminate him. So here in this Survivor Series match that is otherwise kind of inconsequential and, you know, we're months removed from WrestleMania 5, you got the powers of pain eliminate the tag team champions. Uh, doesn't mean anything, but maybe. Do we end up seeing this on the road here? I don't think so. I don't think it ever. We saw it at WrestleMania 5, but I don't think there's any payoff to this uh, powers of pain beating demolition at Survivor Series thing. Kind of Well, how soon, how soon does demolition turn heel again, though? Right. I think that's coming pretty soon because you could never you never really saw Warlord and Barbarian as faces. Well, they no, were always you know, it's weird for the most part. So if I remember correct, I, OK, isn't this the colossal connection is going to come in and dethrone them in the next few weeks? Right. Andre and Haku. So maybe this was trying to weaken them up a little bit. But, yeah, it's it's interesting. It's Still not, connected. Right. Heenan. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah, it is the Heenan family, but it's not the powers of pain. It's the colossal connection. But anyway, yeah, the tag champs. uh Maybe made to me look made to look kind of vulnerable in this match because, you know, you, you've got this going on. So um, you, now you're looking at this thing and you've got both powers of pain. You've got DiBiase. What? Hogan's the only one left, I think. Right? No, Jake. Jake. Jake's still there. Jake, you're right. You got okay. Jake. You got Jake, so which is been- right. That helps. So it's it's three on two. Uh, the powers of pain are they're going to get a, they're going to get caught double teaming Hulk Hogan for too long. And. <laughs> I mean, You're both disqualified. Yeah, it, it, this includes hitting Hulk with a spike pile driver. The powers of pain both get disqualified. Dumb move. So it flips that quickly from, you know, three on two to now it's uh, two on one. So it's Dave, your, your your Survivor Series team next year is you, Bad News Brown, the Barbarian and the Warlord. Good luck. Yeah, I'm just not going to show. I'll save myself <laughs> some time with that team. Um yeah, so like you're saying, they they end up spike pile driving Hulk. They both get disqualified. Virgil is going to save Ted DiBiase from the DDT by taking the bullet for his boss. DiBiase, however, is going to nail Jake the Snake Roberts with a fist drop and gets his feet on the ropes to eliminate him with a leverage pin. Uh, and now it just leaves DiBiase and Hulk back to one-on-one. This is kind of what started this whole situation with Hogan and DiBiase was that one-on-one match on Saturday night's main event, and here it's, we are again. It's funny because there's two things that happen here that are evolved along the same parallel. The fact that a lot of people believe DiBiase and, and Hennig both should have had a title run in WWE, and we see kind of the end of Hogan and DiBiase here, and at some point in house shows and certain other shows, you're going to see Hogan defend that championship against Mr. Perfect a lot, but never win. So it's, it's always interesting to see how many more guys Hogan could have put over that he did business with. I know he never trusted Roddy enough to give him the title and always thought he could have been the guy too. So, 
Yeah, I, there's a mutual distrust between Hulk Hogan and Roddy Piper. That's for sure. They uh, they did business with each other, but they didn't. You know, it's kind of that sort of. I'm not putting you over. I'm not putting you over either. So fuck. Well, then you. you're not getting the belt, right? Yeah, you're not getting the belt. <laughs> well, you're not getting the pin over me until we get to WCW years later, when it doesn't matter. But yeah, exactly. So anyway, um, Hogan is going to Hulk up after getting hit with a belly to back suplex. Hits DiBiase with the big boot and the leg drop. Hulk Hogan is your sole survivor. And, you know, like you're saying, the most over people that we see, Savage, Hogan, Warrior, are going to be the sole survivors in this. Well, Savage wasn't the sole survivor, but he was there. Um, After this match, huh? Mr. Perfect as well. Yeah, that's right. After this match is over, Sensational Sherry, Macho Man, Macho King, Randy Savage, and Zeus all attack Hogan and Beefcake in the locker room area in advance of the no-holds-barred steel cage match that's coming up on December 27th of 1989. We will touch bases on that when we're done talking about Survivor Series just to kind of put a wrapper on everything and transition to where we're going for the next chapter. Um, we get this this final match here at... No, is this the final match? It's not the final. Oh, my goodness. It's not the final match. No, no, we got one more. We got yeah. two more. Jesus. So they put Hulk on early. I thought he was the next to last match. Even- no, 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 no. Yeah, that's why I said, you know, it's not surprising there, though. You give him a match removed. Yeah, it's even more um, Yeah, even more curious, I guess, when you look at well, it that way. If he, if he wasn't going to finish, they didn't want to have it right beforehand either. Then, you know what I'm saying? Give some, like, take the, it's just like doing the taste test. You eat the cracker and drink the water and go so to the next So he was one. Brock Lesnar before Brock Lesnar. You know, he's like, I'm out of here. If I'm not main eventing, I'm getting the fuck out of here. Well, yeah, well, at this point, I don't think they were going to risk putting him first, though, like we talked That's about. That's right. Uh, so the next match is the Rude Brood featuring Mr. Perfect, the fabulous Rougeau brothers, and ravishing Rick Rude. But there's no Bobby Heenan. And that's kind of curious at this point versus Roddy's Rowdies, which is Jimmy Superfly, Jimmy Superfly Snooka, the Bushwhackers and Rowdy Roddy Piper, because, you know, Snooka and Piper, no history together at all. And here they are magically reunited on this team. It's all love, brother. Yeah. I The coconut knocked the love into me or something like that. I don't know. But anyway, um, you know, we saw kind of Superfly. They were, we kind of saw him come back to the WWE a little bit, and he's involved in this match. And he's actually going to get the first elimination as he eliminates Jacques Rougeau with the Superfly splash. Um, Piper's team shows what I considered in this match, despite my, you know, bitching about this, a stunning level of continuity. Lots of quick tags. I'm like, what the fuck is going on with these guys? Roddy then is going to eliminate Raymond Rougeau with a pile driver, and it's quickly four on two. The tag team specialists in this match are gone. And <laughs> you're like, wait, what the hell just happened? So Piper and Snooka, despite their issues, working well together. Butch gets too caught up with biting Perfect on his ass. And Perfect is then going to catch him with an O'Connor roll to eliminate Butch because, you know, I'd rather chew on dad ass than concentrate on the match, right? Oh, oh, Butch. <laughs> oh, Butch, you bastard, you. So, uh, yeah, anyway, that's that's kind of what happens. Ravishing Rude is then going to send Luke packing with the Rude Awakening, and we're quickly down back to a two-on-two match. And it's the tag. I like how they eliminated the tag teams from this equation pretty quick. Now you got Rude and Perfect, who, holy shit, what a tag team that would have been, versus... Oil and water and Roddy Piper and Jimmy Snooker. No problems, right? It's going to work out okay. Yeah, sure. no. <laughs> and I did notice that when I, uh, the last four guys, none of them are still with us, which is sad. Think about, you True. know, 
But we are covering a pay-per-view from 34 years ago, 33 and a half years ago, and they were all, you know, in their 30s-ish then. Right, right. Exactly. And they don't, they don't. These guys, these guys from that era didn't live that long either. Most they, of them. They sure didn't. They sure. Um, I did like they kind of saved Piper versus Rude to the very end of this thing. You know, they kind of, they don't get into it with each other until the very end of this. And as soon as they do get in the ring, they brawl with each other. Then it, it, it you know, it falls to the floor. Then they brawl with each other some more, and they brawl all the way to the back. Both guys get counted out, leaving just Jimmy Snook, Superfly Snooker and Mr. Perfect. Smart booking. I, I, I thought out of everything that went on in this Survivor Series, this was the smartest thing to do. These guys can't resolve anything here. No one's going to put each other over. Brawl to the back. Now you're left with Superfly versus Perfect. And I'm like, okay. And I thought, you know, at, at this point, Snook and Perfect had a, had a good little go at it with uh, several near, near falls to take place. Snook, however, is going to go for a backdrop, drops his head too early, Perfect catches him with the perfect plex, and Mr. Perfect is the sole survivor, as he should be. Perfect then saves the genius from a post-match superfly splash, which kind of solidifies the budding relationship that we will see down the line, or moving forward from here, between Mr. Perfect and the genius. And The genius becomes Perfect's mouthpiece for quite a while, even though Kurt didn't need one, but it's okay. So... Yeah, out of all, you know, out of the many things that happened at Survivor Series '89, Perfect being the sole survivor felt like arguably the rightest thing that they did the whole night. If that's a word. Yeah, is that a I, word? <laughs> it's a perfectly cromulent word. Um, I perfect. It, it's just yeah. To me, I think I think he is actually the probably the best to never win the world title. Absolutely, I would put I would put him number one because he could talk. He could do promos. He could have a manager and still get over. Um, his swagger was unreal. The way he was good for the back in the locker room as well. He could, the guy could do commentary. He could be a good guy. He could be a bad guy. He, I just, yeah, it's too bad. I think he could have definitely, definitely like <laughs> he should have been one of the best world champions of all time, but he won the AWA title, right? He did. He did. But uh, on the other hand though, when you really look at what he's going to do, and I get what you're saying, and I agree with you. But well, because here his intercontinental well, my... his inter, his IC title run is, oh, is pretty awesome. Yeah, both of them. But at the same time, you know, I know you did the Sergeant Slaughter thing and everything else to transition the belt, and it was really good and it was hot. But then they didn't even capitalize on it at the following WrestleMania, where you could have had perfect take the belt and been transitioned between Hogan and Warrior. Right? That would have been something they could have done, or from Hogan to Warrior, one or the other, because. Perfect would have been another great candidate like a Rick Rude, like a Macho Man, to work a program with Warrior and make it look good. Yeah, I got I got to agree with you, man. I, Perfect's the one of those guys. Him and Jake are the ones that I look at and say, hey, you know, I mean, Perfect, I, I'd Jake agree with too. you. I'd agree with you, Perfect, over Jake. They trusted so much. No, I mean, and Jake was kind of a, he had Damien and he had the DDT. But beyond that, skill-wise. It's like they could have totally trusted and totally could have been able had the to total package. He really yeah. had the total package. As just, Ray would say, the total package. Where is Ray? He's got to be coming on soon. The total package. The total package. Well, let's let's talk about the total package of, of I think this is the last match, right? <laughs> I think. Is this, Thank is God. This, okay. Yes. The, he, <laughs> the Heenan family. We talked about Colossal Connection earlier, and here you go. Andre yep. the Giant, Haku, um, Arn Anderson, and Bobby Heenan? Now... Tully Blanchard is gone. 
don't know exactly what happens. They're taking on the Ultimate Warriors, which are Jim the Anvil Nightheart, the Rockers, and the Intercontinental Champion, the Ultimate Warrior. Um, <laughs> Peenan, third third best worker in this match. Peenan is the third best worker in this match. Yeah. He's behind Sean and Arn. That's He's better than the rest of them. That's that's true. Um, I forget. Andre, Andre at this point, Andre, not like not like seventies Andre. Do we know what like, happened to Tully Blanchard in this match, or why he wasn't a part of this? Did he get hurt? Was or... he hurt? I think he was hurt. He might have got hurt or something. I, I'd have to look into it in more detail. But I I think I looked at it previously, but I'm not completely sure. Maybe it's somewhere in my notes here. I don't know. We'll see. Um. Anyway, in this match, Andre is going to. There he is. We the just, total package. The total package, man. We you were must just talking. Us. You must have. Yeah, we were invoking <laughs> your name, Ray Cash, because we were talking about the total package. And look who shows up. Of course, he's muted. Muted, so he can't hear us. he's not yeah. paying attention to us. So Ray, Ray will get to listen to the end of Survivor Series '89 because I know that's what he lives for, amongst other things. He's like, I'm not even going to stick around for this shit. He can't hear anything anyway. So <laughs> it's even be- it's even better that way. Uh, Andre the Giant is going to attack Jim the Anvil right as the bell rings. Uh, right then, Warrior is going to actually hit the ring. So it's like this: all this shit's going on before the match even starts. Warrior hits the ring, clotheslines Andre the Giant over the top rope, and just like that, Andre is counted out in the first 30 seconds. And that really tells you a lot of what you need to know about Survivor Series 89. 30 seconds, Andre's gone. We don't get any payoff to this Andre Warrior shit at all. If if Zeus was getting paid by the minute that night, Andre was getting paid by the second. Yeah, exactly. 30 seconds. We'll pay you 30,000 for 30 seconds. Okay, I'm there. Take it. Uh, exactly. So Andre is eliminated immediately. Wow. Really? Uh, Anvil is then going to get tied up fighting with Arn, but Haku is the legal man. He hits Anvil with the uh, thrust kick to the back of his head, and the Anvil's eliminated. So we're quickly back to three on three at this point. Um, there's some timely double teaming by Arn Anderson and Haku. This is going to allow Bobby Heenan, of all people, to hit Marty Jannetty with a knee drop. And it's in the record books, ladies and gentlemen. Bobby Heenan eliminates Marty Party, as Chris Platt would say, Party Jannetty from Survivor Series 1989. There's your trivia question, AJ. Who did Bobby Heenan eliminate from the Survivor Series? In a Survivor Series. Yeah, Ooh, Marty Jannetty. Wow, go. got to write that down. That would That's that's something a lot of people don't even know about. Ray, Ray can you hear us now? He can hear okay, us. Okay, so we were just talking about Mr. Perfect, and I was talking about how he would have been great in a bunch of different aspects to actually hold the world championship and be transitioned between Hogan and Warrior and have a good match with Warriors, good matches with Warriors. And Dave called him. He said, yeah, he had the total package. And I went, yeah, he did the total package. And we, you showed up like one minute later. I, we did. And you showed up a minute later. And I'm like, oh, Ray's got to hear us talk, uh, do an impression of his total package. Say his name and he shall appear. That's right. You're like Candyman or something. I'm going to look in the mirror three times and say total package. All right. Well, Ray, you can you can say I'm sure you haven't watched this Survivor Series, but you can not a damn bit. Awesome. No. You can you can don't, it don't, don't don't crystal ball it, though. But, you know, you can just listen in and add in a few things. I wish crystal ball would have showed up. <laughs> Wait, he, is he coming? I, I've, I've warned y'all. I don't I don't rock with Survivor Series 297, bro. So, hey, <laughs> but do you hear the trivia question? Bobby Heenan eliminated Marty Jannetty from this match. That's a you surprise. It was Marty Janetta. <laughs> <laughs> man. We got to talk some nerd shit. <laughs> yeah, we got to get done with this. So anyway, uh, Sean does this great move as he's going to duck a flying body press by Haku, races to the top rope, 
gets launched by the warrior and hits his own flying body press to eliminate Haku. So here's a little bit of a tease of the talent that Shawn Michaels is. Think about all the guys in this match that you would love to see Michaels do a program with. You can start with Haku. You can move over to Arn Anderson right, having a singles run. He, Andre the Giant. Can you imagine Andre the Giant in the mid-70s against Shawn Michaels of the early 2000s? That'd be wow. unbelievable. Or Warrior versus Shawn, like at that point in time, would have been something to see. Yep. A, a little bit, you know, um, five years removed uh, or something. Go ahead, Ray. I'm very glad y'all said the 2000s because if, if, if Andre Haku would have got to 97 Shawn Michaels, He'd be dead right now. Just want y'all to know that's that. probably true. Yeah, yeah, but at the same time, Sean wasn't stupid. Like he was smart enough to go, "Oh, what's your name, Kevin Nash? Yeah, well, you're with me now." And then the next day, Nash goes, "So, how much heat is on you, little man?" <laughs> All right. Anyway, let's get back to this because we do got to get to some nerd shit. Uh, Arn, Ale- Arn Anderson, though, you talked about a ton of program between them. Arn is actually going to eliminate Sean. With that patented double Arn Anderson spine buster, and he's gone. So, you know, then you what do you got? You got Arn and in Heenan left on their side against the Warrior. <laughs> so you can see how this is going to go. Uh, Ultimate Warrior is going to uh, he basically just throws Arn Anderson into Bobby Heenan, and their heads smack together. Warrior press slams Arn Anderson, hits the Warrior splash to eliminate Arn, and Warrior has some fun as you would expect, abusing Bobby Heenan for a bit before he eventually puts him down with the shoulder block in a splash. Ultimate Warrior, the sole survivor of this as he goes off the Air Survivor Series 89. It will get Ray's opinion on this. Ray, we talked about this. This Survivor Series is interesting. I know you're not an aficionado on wrestling up till 97, but you still know what happens in a few months with Hogan and Warrior. Interesting that Vince put Hulk's match like third on this card and had Warrior main event. You feel like me and Tony did that. Vince is trying. He's trying to see it. How's the crowd reacting? Can this guy carry this thing? Do I have lightning in a bottle here? Somebody who could maybe replace Hulk Hogan. You got any opinion on that, Mr. Total Package, or do you just not give a shit? The Total Package. He doesn't care. He's not listening. I think he turned it down. All right. You know, he's probably smart that way. He's not listening. I have an opinion on it, though. I think it's going to be a great match coming up at WrestleMania. That's true. That's right. Um, <laughs> now, it would have been even more amazing, though. We're going to talk about Royal Rumble coming up here. If Warrior would have won the Royal Rumble, you know, but but they hadn't started doing that yet. Right, and and they did, and the way they handled Royal Rumble 90 was pretty good. And we'll, we're going to talk about that in the next chapter. chapter. Um, yeah. I thought, Tony, this was, like you said, and there's a mix of good and bad. There's some shitty non-finishes, that's for sure. The Bad News Brown repeat from last year is just absolute garbage. Um, the Tully Blanchard situation kind of fucked up. And, you know, I got to look into that and see what happened. Heenan getting, you know, but Heenan getting that main event spot with so many Hall of Fame members on this card is the, you know, it, it's a definition of, um, I don't know, man. It's it's an interesting way to, that they did it. I don't mind Heenan getting in there. You got all these Hall of Fame members. Warriors definitely over. I don't think that there's any sort of, doubt about that after this match is over that warrior is as over as anybody and vince realizes at this point i've got something i can use here tully uh failed a drug test on november 1st and that's there why he go. missed it okay but you bring like, the inside information no that's great but it's like this is three weeks later they couldn't have come up with a better idea than bobby heenan eh, i mean heenan's connected to everybody on his team and definitely with the warrior and things of that nature so i mean Think about the, the think about how much more the warrior gained getting over Bobby Heenan at the end. That was pretty big. 
Yeah, it was. And and yeah, and you see Warrior and Warrior and Heenan had a lot of history. Heenan, of course, instrumental in him losing the Intercontinental Championship. Yep. Yep. This yep. is a little bit of comeuppance for Bobby. And sure. like you're saying, third best worker in this match, easily. <laughs> yeah. Easily. Maybe second. Uh I'm gonna give this a seven out of ten. You know, just oh. Oh. just because I thought for for the standpoint of not so much the match quality, but just kind of like what they're dabbling with, what they're moving towards the the issues with Warrior Warrior and Perfect's performances bookending the end of this kind of put it a little bit higher to me. Um, and, and to, you know, for Vince to see what he's got with Warrior, I think it is is pretty cool. Uh, what do you give this thing, Tony, on a scale of one to ten? Four. Ooh, that's way low. Not yeah. even five. No, not. <laughs> No, it's lucky it's a four. See, Tony, ladies and gentlemen, right there. This is like the hardest pay per view to watch ever. <laughs> you know, and it's interesting before we leave here. It's, okay to, it's easier to talk about it because we know we're talking storyline and, and what they're trying to do and, and certain things they accomplish. But like the execution of the actual watching of these pay per view. Oh, yeah. Right. I got you. I got that's fair. That's fair. I, I liked it a little bit better than you, but I'm more nostalgic than you. Just to wrap this up before we cut out of here, um, and to kind of bring the Zeus storyline to an end, is after this match is done, and you know, you had the attack backstage with Savage and, and uh Zeus attacking Hogan and and uh Beefcake. Um, you're gonna get and this is interesting because this is like the one the one pay-per-view that was never on the old WWE network. I still don't think it's on the cock. I'm not sure where you can get this anywhere, but it was no holds barred. The movie, the match. Go ahead, Tony. No, no, no. I was just, I was keep going. Yeah. So what they did was they showed no holds barred, the movie in its entirety. And then immediately after that was done, they went to the steel cage match in the old blue steel cage, a really cool steel cage that they had. Uh, this was, I think a situation where um, I think this was one where you could get, there was the pinfall inside of the steel cage up until then it'd been all like, you know, escape was the only way to win. And in this one, I think like Brutus and macho get out of the ring, uh, at roughly the same time, leaving Hogan and Zeus in, in the ring by themselves. Hogan finally, finally gets a definitive emphatic victory beats Zeus. Um, and that's how this rivalry all ends with Hogan, you know, prevailing over Zeus. That's the last time we'll see Zeus in WWF, his four five, six month run is over. So you get it. You do get some finality to the whole situation. And Hulk Hogan eventually does prevail over the human wrecking machine. Zeus in a pretty, you know, okay, we're putting the stamp on this thing and that's how it ends. And then it's off to Royal Rumble 1990. Go ahead, Tony. Yeah. Like I get brought it up before, like how much was each partner's heart in it with them? And, and was this specifically structured initially to just be this kind of, okay, we're doing, we're giving you the permission to do this movie. Uh, well, we might as well make a little bit more money with this guy and, and, and have, bring him in. He looks great. And maybe along the way, we'll see how much we like each other. You know, like I said before, uh, how much was Zeus's heart was in this? Like if he really loved it and was about it, I feel like he would have been around longer and possibly maybe that was the case. And WWE just wasn't in love with Zeus or wasn't even making money with him after a certain point. So those are the kind of the questions I would ask it when it comes to the WWE F and Vince McMahon's relationship with Zeus. Right. And I think I, I did. I was reading something that uh, talked about the promos leading into the, the match. I mean, Savage, Sherry and Zeus cut some of the most outlandish, crazy shit. And I mean, in an era, we're talking about the ultimate warrior. So just great shit. Uh, but yeah, in, in this match, you, you know, you, you've got 
Hogan takes him down, slams him into the bars over and over again, puts him away with three leg drops. That's right. It was emphatic. Um, you know, and I did, I did the article I was reading did notice, and then we'll cut out of here, but they were talking about how, you know, one uh, Hogan never did multiple leg drops on an opponent. So like you're saying, how much did they like each other? How much did they trust each other? How much did, you know, did they want to put each Hogan did put over Zeus in the end of this whole thing? Cause yeah, they were saying Andre only had to get beaten with one leg drop. Hogan never dropped more than one leg drop on somebody. Zeus took three before he was finally put down for the count. So, you know, does he, does Hogan give back certain people at certain times? Kinda. Maybe this, you know, kind of seeing how, how much Hogan was going to play ball with warrior moving forward. I don't know, but I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. It's always interesting when you talk about the top guy's relationship with an outsider as well. Yeah, and that was that's all she wrote for Zeus. That's all where she wrote for this chapter of the Big Four Project on Tunney's like wiping, We made it. Wiping his brow. The relief on, on PC Tunney's. It'll never get worse than that. I see the rainbow. You see, you see you, the ray, you see something at the end of the road. PC Tunney saying, yes, we can move on to bigger and better things. And chapter six, ironically enough, of the Big Four Project. No, wait. This is chapter yeah. This is chapter yes. six. Chapter seven of the Big Four Project is going to be a big one, as Tunney says. Is we are going to look at Royal Rumble 1990 and WrestleMania six, including the Ultimate Challenge. Whereas PC Tunney has alluded to for the first time ever on the Attitude of Aggression, we are planning to do a watch along of the main event, the Ultimate Challenge, Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior, WrestleMania six. For a lot of us, it's one of our favorite WrestleMania matches of all time. Um, between two guys who really couldn't work, who made it work. That's all you can say. I think we could do a group watch on the cock as well, so we could probably get, you know, group as something many... on the cock. That's that's yeah, dangerous. Yeah. I, what? Yeah. What did you just is say? This, I don't know. Is this the big four in attitude of aggression or Pornhub? What? <laughs> what? Where, where are we right now? Hey, Pornhub, sponsor me. I need the money. So yeah. Uh, I don't know. Is is Ray listening to us? Where is Raymond? Where you want to say bye to the Ray, people? Ray, are you down to do a, a watch along of Hogan Warrior WrestleMania 6? No. Apparently He's like, call no. me when you get to 97. <laughs> nope. WrestleMania 14? We wait till that WrestleMania, one. No, WrestleMania 13. Austin Sean, that'll be Austin, where you come. Austin, Austin no, Brett. come on. Austin Brett. Austin yeah, Brett. He'll be go. That might, that we, may, we, may, we may be able to talk starting around there. Maybe. All right. <laughs> maybe. God damn it, Ray. They just don't make them like you anymore. And that's probably a good thing. But before we cut out of here, PC Tony, let people know where can they check you out on the social media interwebs and the chair shot and all that fun stuff. Well, find Ray Cash at it's Ray Cash. Find me at I PC Tony. ask Ray. Nope. Oh, sorry. I didn't know. I uh, asked and answered, sir. All right. You're a lawyer, right? Asked and answered. <laughs> uh, just stained, listen to every maybe? Shot Radio Network. Yeah. Everything Chair Shot Radio Network. We got you covered. Oh, ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash the chair shot. Check it out. Cover your nipples. That's right. Mr. Nipples told you so. All right. That's going to do it for this chapter of the Big Four Project. Like we said, next time, Royal Rumble 1990, WrestleMania 6, a bloated ass fucking card. Uh, but we are going to have the watch along for Hogan Warrior, which will be fun. Tony, one of Tony's favorite matches, one of my favorite matches. That's going to do it for this installment of the uh, Big Four Project. We will catch you guys soon. Thank you again. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey folks, PC Tony here. Thanks to our new partnership with Angry Lemonade, you can save 10% on physical products and digital commissions using the promo code CHAIRSHOT. Head to angrylemonade.net to check out their amazing catalog of products and services. Use the promo code CHAIRSHOT to save 10%. That's angrylemonade.net. 
All right, guys, we are back from the review. Chapter six, Big Four Project in the books. Uh, good stuff. You know, I, I think I think all things considered, despite the fact that we were not dealing with the most riveting aspects of uh, some of the history of the WWE pay-per-views, it was still uh, good stuff, by and large. I, you know, I think nobody can deny that... Uh, there's some really important stuff that happened. I mean, you know, Sur- SummerSlam 89, I think the biggest moment of that, of course, was uh, Ultimate Warrior recapturing the Intercontinental Championship from Ravishing Rick Rude in, in a damn good match. And I think it-, it underscores the fact that Warrior's popularity was just um, on the upswing significantly at this point in time. Warrior was coming into his own. I mean, you'd seen it from the SummerSlam a year earlier where he dethroned Honky Tonk Man. One year later, Warrior's popularity hasn't waned at all, and he's actually becoming an even bigger star. And Vince sees this, and, and, and you have to know that Vince is seeing this. And I think, you know, putting the belt back on Warrior, uh, getting Piper involved in this whole situation, kind of getting Roddy reacclimated. He's been gone for a couple years, and now you got Roddy, who we first saw, you know, we saw him with that segment with Morton Downey Jr. at WrestleMania Five. And now here he is several months later, um, you know, he's he's getting more involved. And this is all going to set the stage for, you know, Roddy eventually kind of getting back in the ring. And, you know, we're going to see some more of that. And we'll see like at, at WrestleMania six, he has a match against uh, Bad News Brown. That's not shown on Peacock anymore because you know, Roddy paints half of himself black. So, you know, they've got that sort of thing going on. But. I, I think, you know, the main aspects of, of what we saw at SummerSlam 89, you know, we got to see a damn good match with the Hart Foundation, the Brain Busters. The Brain Busters at this point in time had dethroned the demolition and had become the new WWF Tag Team Champions at the time. That was a hell of a match. Uh, you got to see Mr. Perfect starting to really move up the ladder uh, and, and start to become a, a bigger, you know, a bigger player in, in everything that's going on. Um, you know, a lot of the other matches really kind of inconsequential, you know, the warrior winning, of course, the big one. Uh, and then you got the main event, right? With macho King, Randy Savage and Zeus taking on, uh, Hulk Hogan and Brutus, the barber beefcake and God love Randy Savage. (laughs) That's all I got to say about this thing. Uh, because Savage carries so much of this and takes so much of the abuse on him and makes himself look really kind of. I don't know, kind of insignificant when you compare it against Zeus and what they were trying to do with Zeus. And Zeus's run, you know, you hear it on this episode, doesn't last very long. And I think Tony shared with me the other day, they're adding the human wrecking machine Zeus as a playable character in WWE 2K23, which I think is fucking awesome. You know, I mean, no matter what you think of Zeus's run in WWE, having him as a playable character for probably, as I don't know, the first time ever, that's pretty damn cool. So I, I'm, you know, I don't have 2K23 because I'm still messing around with 2K22 and I'm not done with my universe mode. <laughs> so I'm not going to get the new game quite yet, but I think that's pretty damn cool. But getting back to the match itself, it was a decent enough match. You know, you got Liz involved, you get the loaded purse involved, Sherry gets her hair cut, Zeus gets pinned by Hogan, everybody goes home happy, and Savage is the one who carries so much of it. As he should. I mean, he's the macho man, Randy Savage. What would you expect? So it's all serviceable. Survivor Series 89, I think the biggest takeaway that I got from this, because I didn't dislike it as much as Tunney did. And, and you know, all bullshitting aside at the beginning of this, talking about how, 
how you know it's it, it was Tunney's <laughs> Tunney's lack of enthusiasm that led to the delay in getting this out. That's all. It's all bullshit. I mean, there's there's whispers of truth to it because neither one of us was like really thrilled about it. I did like the pay per view better than Tunney did, and, and I think the biggest part of it that stood out to me is match placement on the card where we talked about it as Tony and I were reviewing it, um, where you've got the Hulk Hogan survivor series match coming on in the middle of the card and warrior being the headliner. And, you know, in 89, when that happened, I don't think those of us watching it had a real, like a big feeling like, Oh, you know, warriors, the man, he's the one getting the big push. It just seemed like, you know, warrior. We knew he was very over intercontinental champion. That sort of thing. Looking back on it now, it's it makes a lot more sense that Vince wanted Warrior in this main event spot to see, hey, how would the crowd react to him? Could he carry the main event sort of um, mantle like he did? And I think, you know, in that respect, it verified to Vince that Warrior was somebody who he could get behind, somebody who could possibly rival Hulk Hogan. And I think, you know, as you'll see at Royal Rumble 90, they take that to the next step. And, and this is all a big kind of an experiment that Vince does, knowing that Hulk's getting older. I need somebody younger, somebody who can keep this money train rolling. And he's looking directly at the Ultimate Warrior to see how far can this guy really take this thing. And for a long time, Warrior answers, you know, all those questions very positively for Vince. You will see that when we get to Chapter 7 and we talk Royal Rumble 1990 and you get that big moment. That comes up between Hogan and Warrior. Um, but, you know, other than that, I mean, there's some good stuff. There's some bad stuff, to be sure, in this whole, uh, I mean, just, yeah, a lot. It's an uneven pay-per-view, to be sure. But, you know, I don't know. <laughs> what what can you say? There's, there's some good. There's a lot of bad. But that, my friends, does it for this chapter of the Big Four Project. Now. Chapter 7 of the Big Four Project, as I've alluded, is going to touch on the Royal Rumble 1990 and WrestleMania 6, which of course has the ultimate challenge, Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior, Edge and Christian. You guys don't listen to this show, but if you guys are, I know this one will matter to you. God, I wish I could get Edge to <laughs> come on and talk about it, uh, or even Christian for that matter. Um, what we are planning to do is... For the first time ever on the Attitude of Aggression, here we are, 279 episodes in. That'll be our 280th episode. And, you know, I know for a variety of reasons, getting from 200 to 300 has been an adventure for the Attitude of Aggression for a multitude of reasons that Tunney knows about, Greg knows about, DPP, you know, a lot of the guys I work with, they all know some of the stuff that's gone on with the podcast from episode 200 on. Um, so I'm just happy to still be kind of marching on the path to 300, but for episode 280, we're going to do something we've never done before. The plan is to do a watch along of that WrestleMania six main event, Hulk Hogan versus the ultimate warrior for the WWF championship for the intercontinental championship. Winner takes all somebody's leaving with both titles. And because it's such an iconic match and it's one of Tony's favorites and it's one of my favorites as well. And it's, you know, it is a rare occasion where Hulk Hogan is the worker in the match, and he's the one carrying the match. And anybody who knows any about the history of the match knows some of what went on. But that's the plan, is to do a live watch-along of Hogan Warrior for the first time ever. And that's going to be a lot of fun to revisit that match, watch it as it takes place in front of us, offer our commentary, our critique about what's going on, 
everybody and their mother knows who wins. So we're, you know, it's not spoiling anything if we tell you. Well, maybe some people haven't watched it. I don't know. But anyway, that's the plan for Chapter 7 of the Big Four Project, which will be Episode 280 of the Attitude of Aggression. So cool stuff there. Now, as promised, before we cut out of here on Episode 279, though, let's talk a little bit about the current product. And let's start talking AEW. Mentioned it at the outset. Um, big show coming in, all in, coming to you from Wembley Stadium. And I, I'll tell you, so AEW, I, I don't know if I mentioned this last time, probably not. Um, yeah, because we haven't done an episode since March. But I did have my first experience with an AEW pay-per-view where I wasn't really blown away. And that was Double or Nothing 2023, which was fine. Is a good show. Uh, I love the Jade Cargill stuff they did with Chris Statlander handing Jade her first loss and kind of the way they did it with Jade just getting, you know, the win over Taya Valkyrie, getting greedy, getting arrogant, saying I can take on anybody and it backfires. That was kind of smart booking. I thought if you're going to hand her a loss um, and it's not going to be somebody like Mercedes Monet who, you know, just flat out beats her or somebody like that, then having her lose that way was pretty smart. On the other hand, Forbidden Door 2 was a hell of a show. I think it matches up very well with last year's Forbidden Door, which if you listen to the Swaggy Awards from this past year, Aesop Mitchell and I were very complimentary about AEW's Forbidden Door pay-per-view, the AEW NJPW crossover. Um, This one was pretty damn good as well. And I think right now, Kenny Omega versus Will Ospreay, the match at Forbidden Door, um, is going to be my men's match of the year unless something remarkable happens somewhere along the way. And, you know, that's with all due respect to Roman Reigns versus Cody Rhodes at WrestleMania 39. Uh, and I haven't, I have not recorded since we went to WrestleMania. Um, I haven't offered my thoughts. So I'll table that discussion because, you know, <laughs> what am I going to say about it now? But um, I think Omega Osprey at Forbidden Door was just a tremendous match. And I mean, yeah, Kenny taking that Tiger Driver 91. That really was a, a uh, yeah, a scary spot to say the very least. When when he takes that spot, you're like, oh shit, that's pretty rough. Um, but beyond that, just the story that the guys told the Will Ospreys just dead set on revenge for what Kenny Omega did to him at, at at Wrestle Kingdom and and his his win over Omega there and how or excuse me Omega getting the win and taking the IWGP United States Championship and Osprey just dead set on getting vengeance. And there's a lot of nasty violence and and animosity built into this match. And it added a whole fun element to what they had going on. I thought it was a tremendous match. Probably my men's match of the year. I don't see how anything's going to beat that. I haven't seen anything better this year. I don't know if that's even possible. Uh, You know, I think Brian Danielson versus Kazuchika Okada was a dream match. And it's a very good match. Um, but I think Danielson's injury, whenever that took place, probably with maybe eight to 10 minutes left, maybe they switched things up. Um, it was a little bit slower paced. And I think I, a lot of us were wanting, um, Okada looked pretty good, but you know, Danielson getting Okada to submit, to tap out or, or to, you know, submit. I, I don't even remember if he tapped out. Um, that was surprising. You know, I, I, I think most of us would have been fine if Okada just couldn't respond to the referee's. Um, you know, the referee asking him if he could continue. This is the second time, though, you've got a straight up submission in a situation where they could have let somebody just pass out. Now, maybe that's AEW distinguishing themselves from WWE and not taking kind of the easy way out. And I don't know if it's the easy way out or not. I mean, is it overdone? Possibly. Could AEW... (laughs) 
Wow, sorry about that. The uh, <laughs> end spot for this episode is trying to play already, and I, I've even got the uh, computer lid closed, so, hmm, the spirits are speaking or something going, I don't know. It's kind of weird, but then again, it's kind of cool. Uh, so anyway, yeah, like what I was saying is they, they did, they did the same thing with Danielson and MJF at, um, what was that revolution when they had the 60 man Iron Man, 60 minute Iron Man match. And I thought in that one, I was a little bit confused as to why they didn't just have Danielson pass out, but you know, AW wants to do it that way. That's fine. That That's fine with me. It maybe it, it, it does. It certainly adds an element of holy shit to it that, Hey, this guy tapped out. Danielson tapping out to MJF, Okada tapping out to Danielson. You know, interesting stuff. Um, I know that AEW on Collision just had FTR taking on the Bullet Club Gold in a tag match that people are calling an instant classic. I don't, I mean, I have to go back and watch it. Um, Would I say it's better than Kevin and Sammy dethroning the Usos at WrestleMania? No, Um, just because of the emotions and, and some of the stuff that was involved in that match. But you know, Collision has got, you know, the their, um, numbers for the people watching it are kind of low. But most of the stuff I'm hearing about the reviews about match quality and just the presentation have been very complimentary. And it's not just, you know, CM Punk uh, beat Samoa Joe a couple weeks ago, lost to Ricky Starks in the Owen Hart tournament. I mean, you know, so for everybody who criticizes Punk about it, it's all about him not putting over any of the younger talent. There you go. <laughs> CM Punk putting over... Uh, Ricky Starks pretty emphatically or not emphatically, but just putting him over with a big win in the Owen Hart tournament. And I think what that was the final, wasn't it? Pretty sure that was the final. Ricky Starks won the won the tournament by beating Punk, if I recall. You know, I, I got to go back. I'm, you know, I got so many things floating around in my head. But all that aside, um, you know, you had at Forbidden Door, you had Jungle Boy turning heel, talking about his sexual ex- exploits with... um. With Anna J, which is kind of a little cringeworthy, uh, but you know, <laughs> whatever. Um, I think the big thing, the Forbidden Door one match, I did not like at all. MJF versus Hiroshi Tanahashi, and I know Tony Khan's come out and talked about a lot of us criticizing Tanahashi for just being old and slow and not being a very good match. And I get where Tony Khan is defending him. And that's fine. And I think, you know, Tanahashi, of course, is a legend. He has earned the right to slow down. But the match was pretty rotten to begin with. And it doesn't do, you know, it doesn't do your world champion, who's MJF, any favors when you put him in in the opening match like that. And it just kind of fails to deliver. Now, the four pillars match at double or nothing was a damn good match. MJF prevailed on that. I, you know, you hear things about, MJF kind of getting stale as a world champion sooner or later you got to figure and I don't know if they're going to do it in Wembley but you look around at the landscape who could MJF go against um, that's a big money match that's somebody that you would want to see uh, possibly dethrone him and the biggest name that comes to mind is Kenny Omega and you know I think if you're going to do Omega versus MJF in Wembley whoever wins it's a it's a win for AEW and I think, you know, we've talked about it. Kenny Omega's contract coming up somewhere down the line. Young Bucks contract coming up somewhere down the line. I heard Conan talk about how he feels like the Young Bucks are just not not invested in anything going on around them. Their promos are kind of stale. Their promos are kind of flat. He really thinks they want to go to WWE. I don't know. I don't know. Omega, look, 
for the hardest of the hardcore AEW fans out there who were listening to this, I'm not going to call you guys Marks, but I'll just say this to the hardest of hardcore fans who are out there listening, who say Kenny Omega would never go to WWE. I say bullshit. And I'll tell you why, because what more does Kenny Omega have to prove? What can he accomplish in AEW that he hasn't already done? He's already won the AEW World Championship and had a hell of a run. Um, yes, aided by Don Callis a lot. He's fought John Moxley. He's fought so many other people. He's had so many top notch matches. He had that long tag team championship reign with uh with Hangman Adam Page. He had the 60 minute draw or whatever it was with uh Brian Danielson, or maybe it was only 30 minutes. It was the first uh Grand Slam event at Arthur Ashe Stadium. He's faced just about everybody you can get. And they're, the odds of them getting a big player from WWE, granted, there's a lot of dis- dissatisfaction with Vince being back in charge. I don't see a big switch happening. I mean, Drew McIntyre, is that's their, that's their pipe dream, that settlement negotiations or contract renewal negotiations fall apart and Drew ends up in WWE. Dude, I just I don't see that happening. I don't see Vince or Hunter letting him go. Um, they'll, they'll match whatever Tony wants to offer him. They'll do something. I mean, you see Drew is going to have a marquee match at SummerSlam against Gunther. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. So I'm looking at, you know, if you're going to do, you need a big match. You can't just, yes, you've sold all these tickets for all in or, you know, that's fine, but you gotta, you gotta deliver to the fans, the UK. And, and I mean, let's transition kind of talk a little bit, you know, about WWE because, you know, WWE just had money in the bank at the O2 Arena. Sold that out. If you had put money in the bank in Wembley, they would have sold that thing out three times over. Easy. The United Kingdom fans, the fans in the UK are hungry for pro wrestling. They love pro wrestling. And I'm not saying AEW doesn't deserve all the accolades it's getting for this show. They obviously aren't a bunch of slackers because, you know, you're not going to just show up for like, you know, a fucking for no reason for some shit promotion. That's decided, hey, we're going to rent out Wembley Stadium. We're going to get a bunch of people to show up. No, they're still showing up in huge numbers. And there's not one match announced, which tells you all you need to know about how passionate the AEW fan base is about their promotion. But WWE, you know, had a very successful event at the O2 Arena at Money in the Bank. And of course, topped off with Roman Reigns getting pinned. By Jay Uso, for the first time, Roman has been pinned in three and a half fucking years since December of 2019 when Baron Corbin pinned his ass. Um, now, things that have happened to WWE since we recorded last, of course, WrestleMania went down. Lots of people talking about should Cody have won? Should he not have won? I'm not going to get into that. Seth Rollins is the world heavyweight champion. They created a new belt and, you know, we can all call it a consolation prize all you want. But. I think, you know, the main thing that's going on with WWE and the main thing driving everything is, of course, the bloodline story continues to unfold and has taken more twists and turns in the past few months than anybody could have anticipated with, you know, Roman basically, uh, you know, just kind of alienating everybody around him to the point that the Usos attacked Roman. They had the big tag match in, in the O2 Arena in London and the Usos win this tag match. And it's so surprising because you would have thought, Oh, Solo will take the fall. Roman will never get pinned until he loses the title. And they stunned us. So for all the people who say Vince is firmly in charge of everything again, yeah, there are elements of the booking that are very Vince-ish, but I don't think that was one of them. And when you look at that and you look at the end of that match and say, I don't think Vince would have allowed 
would have wanted Roman to take the fall in that situation. And yet that's what happened. Um, that being said, you know, you've got Damian Priest as Mr. Money in the Bank. You've got um, Io Shirai, who's Miss Money in the Bank, her issues with Bailey notwithstanding. But now reports are that Bailey has been hurt. And it could be a, a knee injury again. It could be the one that she just came back from a year ago. Of course, our thoughts and prayers are with Bailey that it's nothing serious that she's able to come back. And if it's the worst case scenario, then hopefully she has a speedy recovery and, and gets back as soon as she can because she's had a few of those knee injuries. Uh, but Io Shirai, of course, missed money in the bank. You know, you look at the women's champions right now. You got Rhea Ripley, who's just dominant and needs desperately needs somebody to go up against her. Um, somebody credible. And the only person on Raw who stands out is Becky Lynch. Uh, well, I mean, Bianca, st- no, Bianca's on SmackDown. Okay. So yeah, it's just Becky Lynch is the only option on Raw for Rhea Ripley. Um, that's a big problem that they don't have anybody. And this is kind of where you look at the roster and say, hey, you know, they could have used Sasha Banks right about now. Um, but with Becky, she's entangled with Trish talking about getting a Trish tattoo. She doesn't have any tattoos if she loses. I don't know what the fuck to think of that. Over on, on SmackDown, though, you know, you've got Asuka, who's the SmackDown Women's Champion, embroiled, and it looks like we're going to have a triple threat match with uh, Asuka, Charlotte Flair, Bianca Belair. Uh, the Bianca Charlotte stuff has been really good. So that's a fun feud going on. Um, you're going to probably get Gunther versus Drew McIntyre. Gunther getting very, very close to breaking Honky Tonk Man's record for the longest reigning intercontinental champion of all time i'm pretty sure he's gonna do it uh drew's gonna give him a good fight but he's gonna come up short but i'm all for it uh la knight continues to be the most over performer in wwe me personally i don't exactly get it and (laughs) i like la knight i like what he does kevin nash has created a big controversy by saying he's a copycat he's a ripoff of the rock and a ripoff of stone cold steve austin i'm not saying kev is right but I will say that there are elements of what L.A. Knight does that feel like, okay, that does kind of feel like The Rock's delivery. Uh, the yeah has replaced what? So there's no doubt about that. So that's and that's OK. That's OK, because God knows Hulk Hogan stole blatantly from superstar Billy Graham. Rest in peace. And he's freely admitted that um, Austin and The Rock pattern themselves a lot after what the nature boy rick flair done nature boy rick flair had patterned himself after a nature boy buddy rogers so is it a crime you know sean michaels patterned himself after rick flair you look at so many people modern champions and and people out there is it that bad if you're la knight and you're trying to get over is it the wrong idea to say you know what i'm going to incorporate elements of the rock and stone cold steve austin into my shtick and boy, has it worked because the fans absolutely love this guy. I like L.A. Knight a lot. He, you know, when that whole bullshit with Bray Wyatt was going on and he was easily more over than Bray Wyatt. And this is before he really started doing all this stuff and really started incorporating all these elements that Kevin Nash has been critical of. L.A. Knight was getting over organically off of his own, his promos, his in-ring work already now you're adding in this other element he's the most over guy i mean he is now when we went into wrestlemania talking with tunny about this stuff uh on the dwi podcast you're talking about how Sami Zayn. i think at the swaggies we're talking about how Sami Zayn was the most over guy that there was and you know he was the guy who you looked at as creating this big problem with you know do we put sammy over do we put cody over what are we going to do and 
L.A. Knight, I would say, has eclipsed him right now. L.A. Knight's the most over guy in WWE. He's not even technically a babyface, although they're definitely moving in that direction. He's probably going to win the United States Championship from Austin Theory. He was Everybody in the O2 arena wanted him to win Money in the Bank. Almost did. I was okay with them not having him win because I don't think he's earned it yet. He needs that big marquee victory. He needs to earn it. Beating Austin Theory in Detroit is going to get a massive pop from the fans there for taking him down. LA Knight, the most over guy in WWE. I think maybe Cody's possibly running a close second. And you wonder about the decision to not have Cody go over. And you look at what he's done since then. This feud with Brock Lesnar, which you may not have understood at first, has been fantastic for Cody. And I think it's really worked out. We don't know what kind of match you're going to get at SummerSlam, but we're going to get the third match. And then I think the only other one that, I mean, there's there's a bunch of matches, and they're still announcing more. Ricochet, Logan Paul, I mean, okay. That's going to be <laughs> a spot fest. Roman Reigns versus Jey Uso for the uh, Undisputed Universal Championship. Um, do I think Jey Uso wins this? No, not a chance. Uh, Roman's not losing. He's not losing the title. I, I just don't see, Jey Uso is a star in the making, yes. I don't see Roman dropping the title to Jey uh, they're going to save that for WrestleMania. There's other stuff that they can do. There's other things that they want to do. LA Knight is a guy you look at when you look at stuff, right? And we've said it many, many, many times. Somebody's going to get a massive rub when they dethrone Roman Reigns. Who should that be? You look at the landscape now. You could make an argument for Cody. You could make an argument for LA Knight if he continues to progress on the trajectory that he's on right now, the way that he's over, the way the fans react to him, the stuff he can do in the ring, the stuff he can do on the mic. Uh, if Roman sees something in this guy that he says, look, he's your next big star. He's your next Stone Cold. He's your next rock, whether he's ripping him off or not. Who gives a shit? If he's drawn in the fans and LA Knight's got that charisma to him, let's not, whether you dig him all the way or kind of dig him like I do. L.A. Knight's got that charisma to deliver that. If Roman sees enough of him to say, look, this is the guy. Let's put, let's do this. Let's put this. Let's strap the rocket to him. I'll drop the title to him at 40 in Philadelphia. You know, I don't know. I mean, L.A. Knight continues to just get more and more and more over. There's nobody that I can look at on either roster or in NXT uh, who comes close to him. And... Yeah, I mean, when you start looking at guys who could emerge as front runners for who's worthy to dethrone Roman Reigns, yeah, you know, you got to start looking at LA Knight and thinking about that. So anyway, uh, those are my thoughts on the current product. WWE has been really good lately, uh, mostly. Yeah, I, th- I would say for the most part, been really good. Even Vince's influence here and there hasn't really detracted too much. Uh, Raw feels too much sometimes like Vince's hands are in it. SmackDown, not so much, um, but Raw has its moments. NXT continues to trudge along. They're still, I don't know, I wouldn't say treading water. They're a little bit better than that, but it's just not a whole lot happening there. Carmelo Hayes is a great champion. He's going to drop the belt soon because that's a guy who needs to be on the main roster as well. Uh, he can do a lot of stuff there. Braun Breaker, people like that. So anyway, guys, that is going to do it for this episode. Episode 279 of the Attitude of Aggression Wrestling Podcast, Chapter 6, Big 4 Project in the book. Talked a little AEW, talked a little WWE. Let me give you guys some contact information. You know, let me talk to you <laughs> to channel my own LA night. 
Uh, if you want to email the show, you know, you got any questions about what's going on, you want to talk to me about anything SummerSlam 89, Survivor Series 89, do you completely disagree with my LA Night take? Hey, that's fine. Uh, I like the guy a lot. I'm kind of in wait and see mode. Let's see more before I say one thing one way or another. I've been doing this since, you know, these podcasts from 2015 all over on various shows. I've earned the right <laughs> to reserve my own judgment on this sort of shit. But if you don't like what I've said, email me attitudeofaggression at gmail.com. I will read your stuff on the mail on the air. I will do my best to answer it. And you might even be able to come on the show and tell me to my face, sort of virtually what a piece of shit I am, but attitudeofaggression at gmail.com. Um, we're still on Twitter with whatever's going on with Twitter. Uh, but you know, for now, anyway, it's at attitude ag. That is at attitude a G G facebook.com slash attitude of aggression if you go there hit the like button lots of you guys do that i don't usually post stuff on facebook that often but a lot of you guys are going there and liking the page anyway so thank you keep it coming i promise more stuff is coming um and instagram at attitude of aggression all one word you can see some of the pictures we took we were at wrestlemania 39 we took some really good photos that's all there on the website you are more than welcome to go there check that out and uh let me know what you think also, if you are listening to the show on whatever Apple podcast, I, it used to be iTunes. Now it's just podcast, Apple podcast or Stitcher or thechairshot.com or wherever you're listening to this. Please make sure you leave us a five star review. Also, of course, make sure you are checking out the Attitude of Aggression on the Chairshot Radio Network at thechairshot.com. Also, go to pro wrestling tees forward slash the chairshot. There is a plethora of T-shirt options that you can choose from. No attitude of aggression shirt. I need to get one. You know, we got we probably have the coolest logo of any of the shows out there. We don't even have a T-shirt. Fuck. Need to fix that. But anyway, uh, but there's lots of other good stuff. Bandwagon Nerds, which is the project I do with Tunny and, and Patrick O'Dowd and and Ray Cash. Where we talk nerdy stuff all week. They got a shirt. Bandwagon Nerds. There's lots of other great stuff there. It helps support the cause and helps us put a little bit of ducats in our pocket. That sort of thing. But that, my friends, is going to do it for this episode. We're going to cut out of here listening to the closing moments of the Ultimate Warrior recapturing, becoming a two-time Intercontinental Champion. You heard the damn thing trying to play earlier, so we're going to give it its chance now. But we're going to do this, and you get to hear the closing moments, Ultimate Warrior recapturing the Intercontinental Championship from Rowdy Roddy, or not Rowdy Fight, from Ravishing Rick Rude at SummerSlam 1989. And maybe a little surprise at the end for you guys for if you stuck with us this long and you have any love for no holds barred at all, you might appreciate us. But that is going to do it for this episode, my friends. Until next time, Chapter 7, where you will hear the review of Royal Rumble 1990 and the live watch along, not live, of course, but the watch along of Ultimate Warrior versus Hulk Hogan WrestleMania 6. Until then, wrestling fans, aggressionaholics, you stay aggressive, do it with attitude. We'll see you soon. Take care. Down he goes for the there. The fans are going bananas here. The cover. What's going What the heck? It's Roddy Roddy Piper. What is Piper doing here? Roddy Roddy Piper. What, what business is this of Roddy Piper being down here? Jeff, you see what's going down between Piper and Ravishing Rick Rude. Driver by Rude, he's gonna get him. One, two. Oh, come on, Morella. Count him. Everything that Rick Rude can give the Warrior, the Warrior's taken. 
And now, what is the purpose for Roddy Piper being here? There's been a lot of animosity between Piper and Ravishing Rick Rude. We've seen it on primetime. And look at Rude giving it to him. Look at Rude giving it to him. Oh. And Piper gave it right back. And now, the attention of Rick Rude is all with Roddy Piper. Oh, uh, no. No. Yes. Belly to back suplex. Rude is down. Atrocity. I can't believe Morella would allow Piper to come out here and distract the champion. High over his head. Drops him down. The Warriors. Rolls him over. Yes. Let's get the official word. Ladies and gentlemen, the winner of this fight. <laughs> What's that smell? <laughs> <laughs>